Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. Tens of thousands of meals daily. We need these guys more than ever. Check out hashtag chefs for America. Check out some of the initiatives they're supporting for workers in local hospitals who I hope you're reading the news are working in wartime like conditions right now. Plus all the local restaurants that have been impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. World Central Kitchen trying to merge those to feed the people on the front lines while also using the local uh, restaurants, initiatives like Frontline Foods, Off Their Plate, Feed the Frontline, Los Angeles, East Bay, Feed ER. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and help your local restaurants stay alive. Learn more at WCK.org. Stay tuned next week. We're going to have a couple things we're going to get going with them. Um, we're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where... If you care about the NFL draft, and I hope you do, because we're about to talk to Peter Schrager about it, Danny Kelly, the master, the guru, the guy who does awesome mock, mock drafts for us. He has his own NFL draft guide. Well, he has his latest uh, blend of scouting reports. Chase Young is still number one on his uh, on his big board, but you can go check that out. You can also check out all the awesome podcasts we have on the Ringer Podcast Network including two rewatchables that we put up this week, Total Recall and Enemy of the State. I'm on both of those. We have Basic Instinct coming on Monday if you want to uh, watch this weekend ahead of time. And then the Book of Basketball podcast, you heard the 2000 redraftables that we did with Rosillo here on this podcast. Zach Lowe and I did the 2001 draft. It was super fun. You can find that on the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, which I hope you were subscribed to. We had a lot of a lot of ways that went doing the 2002 and 2003 next week, and I think 2003 will be on this feed with uh, with my old friend Chad Ford, who has a new podcast out. Actually, go check that out. Coming up, here's what we're doing. I think I think I've been too pessimistic on this podcast. We're we're just gonna try to have a little more fun today. We're gonna talk NFL with Peter Schrager. We're going to talk about movies and what's happened with the movie industry and what we've learned from this on-demand era with uh, Jason Blum from Blumhouse. Yeah, the one that makes all the horror movies. He's going to enlighten us about where things might be going with movies. And then at the tail end, for the first time ever, my buddies Jacko and House and I, we did a three-person Zoom. I can't believe we never did this before. We talked about the 86 Masters, uh, some political stuff and a whole bunch of other things. But uh, that was super fun. And we're going to try to do more of those in future weeks. But that's all coming up. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this at 2.30 Pacific time. So if anything crazy happens... Uh, Forgive us, like Colin Kaepernick signing with the Jets, but then not signing with the Jets because people are still playing internet pranks uh, during the uh, during quarantine. Peter Schrager is here. He, you can see him on Good Morning Football, which apparently you're. What are you doing? What's what's your TV plan right now? What, what's happening? We're figuring it out. We've been doing clips and we're filming and we're doing it via Zoom and all that. But like, it's going online for now, and we're trying to walk before we run. Um, the truth is. NFL Network's based in Culver City, California, New Jersey, and Mount Laurel. And then 
we have a studio in New York City and all three of those locations, it's like, it's non-essential business. Like we can't get into the, the control. So it's crazy. So we're doing yeah. stuff over Zoom and it's online um, and I, we're hoping to get on TV soon. You look like you have a quarantine hairdo going right now. It's nuts. I'm, what are you? I'm there too. I'm I'm like a week away from. It's just gonna go Muchi Norris and go straight up. And I'm Muchi no Norris. Back great me. reference. Um, Thank you. I had his bobblehead when he's a rocket. Uh, I I feel like there's a chance for a man bun situation, but like you tell me. Oh yeah. All all sense of vanity has been thrown out the way. Like I don't even wear pants anymore. Me neither. I've been I've been jogging pants for three solid weeks. Yeah, it's great. This is it. I, I feel like I should be hanging outside of 7-Eleven doing scratch carts. Absolutely. Like, um, I used to get, uh, no shame, I used to get manicures. I used to get pedicures, haircuts every two weeks. Done. I don't miss it, but done. You know, it's gone. Yeah. You almost came on the pod a couple weeks ago, and then uh, just all kinds of crazy shit. It ended up not happening, and we were still trying to figure out how to do stuff remotely and all kinds of things. But it was right before Brady jumped to the Bucks. Yeah, And you had an inkling probably, yeah. you were pretty early in the having an inkling department. When did you know for sure it was happening? I didn't know for sure until it was official. And I'll tell you that I knew that the wheels were in motion at the combine, which was the last week of February. Um, my guys around the league were telling me that it's going to be Chargers or Buccaneers. Titans were out. Colts were out. And then you heard these stories that Brady's like, yeah, not from Brady, but Brady's being courted by eight teams. It was one of the stories. And it's like, no, I don't really think so. Uh, when it came down to it, it was Buccaneers or Titans. But I could tell you, um, all the news came out that it was going to be the Buccaneers that night. It was going to be Buccaneers. The guys in Tampa weren't even certain it was going to be Buccaneers until even after all that news came out because Brady kept it pretty close to the vest. And really how they knew he was coming to Tampa officially was because there weren't a ton of people refuting those rumors. So they were kind of like reading the tea leaves too, but they made their pitch. Um, they were very aggressive in their pitch and their backup plan I think was all right. And if Brady goes somewhere else, we'll just resign Jameis at a cheaper price. So they didn't feel mm. like they were out on a limb here on this thing. Um, but Brady to Tampa and it's kind of making sense now, like a couple of weeks later, but at the time I think everyone was thrown for a major loop. Yeah, I didn't listen to the interview he did with Howard Stern. I read some of the some of the pieces that people wrote about it. I thought it was interesting that he basically knew it was his last Patriots year last year and was pretty open about that because that confirmed a lot of the signs, the breadcrumbs that he was leaving that I didn't I thought as as somebody who thought like he had a good hand on Brady, it seemed like he was spreading breadcrumbs to build up drama if he did leave, but now you look back and you go, oh yeah, he put his house in the market. He got rid of his suite at Gillette Stadium. He resigned from the best buddies thing. He is the first time he's ever an unrestricted free agent. There's a little bit of a Kaiser Soze, I feel stupid, Chaz Palminteri dropping the coffee cup, yeah. looking back where I'm like, how did I not realize he was leaving? It still feels hard to believe, but at the same time, like when you look back at the signs, should we have realized it at the time? Well, here's, but like, I'll do the counter to you. Like I, you know, they go and they get, he says he probably was going to leave going into the season, but then they go and they get Antonio Brown. And he says, it's one of the greatest receivers he's ever played with. Like, how do you say, like, maybe things would have been different had he stuck around. And then I did their week 15 or 16 game, the Saturday night game for NFL network. I was a sideline reporter and Brady was dialed in. Like, you know, everyone's rooting again. Everyone's picking against us right now. And I'm frustrated, but like, we know what we've got in house and we could do this. I, the, the strange thing is 
you know, and we talked about it the week before that game. They do lose to the Ryan Tannehill-led Tennessee Titans. But if he knew he was leaving, wasn't that a bizarre press conference and farewell to Foxborough and to the fans and to the local media? Like, there was no reflection. There was no long, drawn-out, like, you know, this, it was kind of like he hurried off the field, did his one-word press conference, and that was his last time as a Patriot in that building, which seems very strange if you knew that was going to be the end. Yeah, that's a good point, which makes me wonder what happened between the end of that game and mid-March and how motivated the Patriots were to kind of move on. Maybe they were. Maybe they were more motivated than they're letting on. They're trying to do a good thing. The Crafts love Brady. I mean, he's like the the lost Kraft family member. So maybe, you know, maybe they just look conclusively at this. Some of the some of the diehard football people, you know, the nerds out there, the people that study every play, like his play did slip last year. I, I think from play to play, quarter to quarter, it took it took him a while to heat up in some games. And there was a lot of thrown away balls and a lot of like protecting his body and stuff like that. And that was only going to get worse. Maybe he needed to be rejuvenated with the new team too. And I, I think it'll be good for him as a football player just to, to mix up and being in a new situation and everything so fresh. But I'll never get over like... He, he was saying he doesn't care about legacy. I still think it matters to retire with one team. I think he'll regret it 30 years from now. What do you think? Yeah, he might. And, and you know, it's... I, I was at the Combine. I speak to guys within every organization. And one of the things you're hearing a lot of is, like, the Patriots really love Stidham. And I'm like, okay, but yeah, but they love Stidham. But, like, it's Tom Brady. You know, the Patriots really love Stidham. And as things were going, it was like they weren't breaking down the walls to go resign. There was no courting of Tom Brady from Bill Belichick at this point. There were no roses. I know he had a conversation with Kraft the night before, which on Howard, he said he cried during, and that's fine. But like, at no point did the Patriots come and, you know, do the whole, please, we love you. We got to do this again. Like, I think they were good to leave on those terms as well. And they're ready to turn the page. And I'm not sold that Stidham's the guy. I still think the NFL draft is coming up and we could see some major swing. I have no idea um, how that might play out, but from what I heard at the combine was that whether the Patriots folks were telling media or people were telling people around the league, they were pumping up Stidham's tires pretty, pretty high. And like they, whether they're selling them to the fan base or they're really being honest, they like Jared Stidham. Well, they did that with Garoppolo too. And I think that was founded. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think in the opposite, I, they did not do it with Ryan Mallett. They did not, and they did not do it with Jacoby Brissett either. A lot of people are mistaken that, like, Brissett was some beloved Patriot. Like, they traded Brissett. Like, they were fine with that, and you never hear any regrets on trading Brissett. But Garoppolo, I still think um, that one, and Seth Wickersham's articles, you and Ryan have talked about it a bunch. Like, they were pretty spot. Like, Belichick loved Garoppolo. McDaniels loved Garoppolo. It's not like it's the one that got away because they did win a Super Bowl with Brady over the Rams and they did get to another one against the Eagles since Garoppolo was traded. But like, I, I do think like there's a part of them that is, you know, man, if we only had 27 year old Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Right. Um, look, it's weird times. I'm not going to say this has been a normal spring from an NFL transaction perspective because nothing is normal at the same time. There's three really average to above average starting quarterbacks available a week before the two weeks before the draft, you got Cam Newton who it's not like he won the MVP in 2002. It was five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, Andy Dalton, who's made multiple playoff teams and who is not like 40 years old. 
And then Jameis, who threw for 5,100 yards last year, none of them have a team. Are you surprised that we're 0 for 3 with those guys with teams at this point? Or are there so many quarterbacks in the draft, people are waiting to see how the draft plays out? I think it's the latter. I think they're going to see. And it's not there's so many quarterbacks, but there's like functional quarterbacks. I think there's two guys that are viewed really high, and that's Tua and Burrow. Burrow being number one, Tua number two. A next tier where it's like Herbert and Love, both those guys can go in the first round. And there's a lot of good second, third round talent. And that's where it's like, would you rather pay a guy $400,000 and groom a Jalen Hurts or a Jacob Eason? Or do you want to have to spend 15 to $20 million to bring in Cam Newton with the foot that you don't know what you're getting or Jameis Winston with whatever he brings with him? Uh, the guy I'm surprised about is Andy Dalton because I think he's really looked highly upon by other NFL teams, not just the Bengals. And you can win games with Andy Dalton for sure um, as a competent Put him in right now. He's going to win you 10 games. We're okay with that. There's no health issues. There's nothing like that. And yet the trade market was was pretty pretty quiet for the Bengals on the Andy Dalton front. Um, the the Panthers-Cam Newton thing is, is really interesting. And let me – I'm trying to think how I can explain it from the Panther side because a lot of people were, like, pissed how that ended and they thought it was disrespectful to Cam and all that. Like, they've got to field a team. And when you don't have the opportunity to have your doctors look at a guy day to day – when you don't have an opportunity to really have him in the building with a new coach day to day, it's kind of like, all right, we've got to do something to make sure we have a quarterback for week one, whenever this thing does start out. And I've spoken to the folks in Carolina and it was like Joe Brady, who's a 30 year old offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers had Teddy Bridgewater in new Orleans when he was a quality control coach and they have a relationship and they know each other. And it's like, if the season is to start without training camp and without any chance to be in the building, at the very least, we know Teddy can run Joe Brady's offense and we can compete and we have someone that we trust. Cam Newton, we don't know if he can even run right now because of the foot injury and because of what he had with his shoulder. There's question marks. It sucks how it ends for Cam, but because of everybody being stuck inside and because of the fact they can't get in the building and because of the fact everything's done over Zoom, like... I, I, there's even a new medical staff in Carolina that Ron Rivera took their entire medical staff to Washington. Like there's so many variables that the Panthers did like kind of the safe deal and was like, we're going to take a guy that we know can play football right now. If we need to. I, I haven't talked about this yet. I was waiting to talk a little of the football signing stuff with you. I, the dumbest thing I, that happened and it just got swept under the rug was the Colts contract for Philip rivers. Yeah. It was one year, 25 million. I thought I honestly thought he was done as a starter that could win a playoff game. I thought he was bad last year, and, and I thought that Chargers team underachieved. I thought we all kind of left last season going, oh, yeah, it's probably over for Phillip Rivers. And if you'd give me the choice of Rivers versus Jameis versus Cam versus Andy Dalton, if it's like I want just a stable veteran who's better than Jacoby Brissett, I, I actually like Jacoby Brissett. I thought he got hurt last year. I don't think yeah. he's noticeably worse than Phil Rivers. And you're already paying him $15 million for this year. If you're going upside, Jameis is clearly the guy because he threw for a shitload of yards last year, and he's still pretty young. And you could argue you, you could refine some things. Maybe he's not gunslinging it as much. I think Rivers would have been – my fourth choice out of, out of those guys and in four a four B with Brissett for 15 million to pay him 25 when you could have paid Jameis like six. 
I don't get it. What what were they doing? What is your intel on that? I'm not sure what the market was for Phillips. So that's where the $25 million. Do you remember last year the Jaguars paid Foles like $20 million? And one of the things that was said coming out of there, which I thought was the first time I'd ever heard this, you kind of had to pay Foles that money. So he had command of the locker room and everyone looked at him and said, okay, he's a clear number one. He's our guy. I don't think Philip Rivers necessarily, there would be any question that he'd be the guy. So why give him $25 million? That front office, and they're really good. It's a guy named Ed Dodds. It's Chris Ballard. Like they were able to identify Darius Leonard as a second round pick. They were able to identify Quentin Nelson as like a surefire all pro guy, widely respected around the league. And yet that move at that money with all the other signings going around, it did kind of get buried under the, you know, there was not much criticism of it, but Bill, I agree with you. I'm not sure what the market was. Once the Buccaneers were getting Brady, I don't know if there was a line of teams looking to pay Philip Rivers $20 million a year. It was almost one of those deals where like Tom Condon, the agent for Rivers and Rivers like came to an agreement with the Colts and it was like, all right, let's do what's right for Philip Rivers and give him $25 million. It wasn't, let's try to make the best economical move here. I wonder if it was one of those things that was agreed on, you know, super early in the process and then the process shook out a different way and they kind of had to honor it. Cause otherwise it makes no sense to me at all. The only other explanation I could have is ESPN desperately looking for a Monday night football guy. And I think he was in the mix. And if he was like, I'll do it, but it's, you know, I, I want 10 million a year, 11 million a year. And the Colts were actually worried that he was just going to go do TV and they were really, really sold on him. So they do short term money. They had the money, maybe that, but I still don't understand where the 25 came from. I cannot, you, we could sit here for five hours. We couldn't come up with a second team that would have gone to 15 for him. Yeah. And, and I think the Monday night football thing, I think that was, and you could tell me otherwise, you actually probably know better than I do, but I would feel like if the football doesn't work out, if he doesn't get like, then he would consider Monday night football. That's been the narrative from Rivers's camp all along. I think that like, I'm going to explore football first. And if I don't, so it didn't even get to that where they could even like use that as leverage and say, well, Monday night football, I don't think it was even, they didn't even get that far down the road with Rivers um, on the TV side. Cause I know it wasn't just Monday night football. I know other networks would have certainly been interested otherwise also, but the word out of the Rivers's camp was like, no, 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 he wants to play football. And for 25 million, he wasn't getting that anywhere for, for TV anyway. I thought his weapons were really good with the Chargers. If, you, if you're just ranking the weapons, they were in the top eight, you know, compared to like what Brady had in New England. I thought he had a lot of the same problems that Brady had in New England with with just lack of mobility, um, a, a lack of athleticism, being able to like extend plays, things like that. And then he was way more inaccurate than Brady. And I, I, I see that getting worse. I thought that was an odd move. I, if you ask me Dalton versus rivers from what I saw the last couple of years, and especially last year, it's like Dalton a hundred times out of a hundred, he can at least give you a B minus rivers. Can the give you the, a D the intangible thing is that rivers walks in and we roll our eyes, but like there is a professionalism. There is, I've been here. I've done that. We're a young team. You pay almost the extra few million dollars to have Philip Rivers say, "All right, here's what we did in 2007 when we went into Indianapolis and want to play." Like, here's what we did when we had to go to the AFC Championship game. I know he hasn't had a ton of success, but you're almost paying for the resume, also, and you're paying for the years and years of scar tissue of what I've been through and what we've done. And you can lean on me for experience, which maybe you could have done with Dalton, but with five playoff losses, I'm not, or three or four, whatever he had, I'm not sure it's the same respect in the room from the young guys that Rivers brings. Do you think it's a good idea to pay $40 million in the 2020 season for Philip Rivers and Jacoby Brissett? 
Yeah, it's a lot of money for two That's quarterbacks. That's really weird, sure right? I want to go to battle with. I know, I know. I, they also I don't traded. They traded a first round pick in the top fifteen. They traded a thirteenth overall pick for DeForest Buckner, who I know the Niners guys really well. They were really at ends at the combine where they were like, we love Eric Armstead who plays D line and had a great year last year. And we love DeForest Buckner. We know we can't keep both. We would love to somehow find if we can trade one. And like, they got the 13th overall pick for one of them. So like the Niners really came away unscathed and I, I love Buckner. I think he's a good player and he was a top pick for the Niners, but like they're still paying him a crazy amount of money and they paid and traded a first round pick questionable moves by the Colts. That is probably my least favorite type of NFL trade because especially when it's not a top 10 pick, cause the salary is a little lower where you're giving up like a cost controlled asset for four years for this other guy who then you're paying a shitload of money. And now you have all these other cap issues I would love to see the data on on how many times that's actually been a good idea for a team. You yeah. know, like like we saw with the Rams when they did the Brandon Cooks trade. Sure. And you could argue that helped them get to the Super Bowl, but you know, that that 31st pick or whatever they traded for him versus like now they can't get out of that Brandon Cooks contract. It just seems like the risk reward. I would so much rather just have the the draft pick on the on the cost controlled number and then make up that difference with free agency and get like a mid-tier free agent. Yeah. And I, I don't 13th get it. pick 13th pick. You're looking at Jerry Judy. You're looking at CD lamb. You're looking at Henry Ruggs, like top, like number one receiver type guys. That's not, this is not the 31st pick. It's like that high. Um, one interesting part about the Armstead and Buckner thing, which made that dance so interesting. They were both represented by the same guy, Joel Siegel, who had an assistant named Chaffee, Ch Chaffee fields. They were both agents like a month before the end of the season, Chaffee Fields leaves Joel Siegel and takes with him Eric Armstead. And then Buckner stays with Joel Siegel. And these guys as agents now have like, and the Niners had to deal with both players. And now with agents who were partners and stuff, like really like delicate relationship stuff that the Niners found a way to navigate. And I think, I honestly think they got the better of the deal. If they end up with like CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy next to Debo Samuel, watch out. Like the Niners with Kyle Shanahan calling play, like that's legit. Yeah, and we'll see. Will there be hangover for Jimmy G from the Super Bowl? Because the weirdest thing about football over the years has been that Super Bowl hangover thing. It makes no time sense. and time again. And this was like 15 years ago. I, I remember doing a mailbag or an NFL picks column or something, just listing all the teams in a row. And that was in the mid 2000s. And it seems like we've had even the Rams last year. And you go through. Um, do you think? there's any possibility of a mega trade with somebody moving up into the top two? Is that realistic or is that just people bored hoping something fun happens? There's a chance. I Top two is tough. I think the Redskins are taking Chase Young. I mean, I, I know those guys. I know Rivera and I know that defensive staff pretty well, but it doesn't come from that. I just knowing what they want to be and their identity. Like, I don't think they're, I don't think they're taking Tua with a risk of not knowing what they're getting and not having the chance to meet with him, have their doctors with him and the whole thing. I think Chase Young's a sure thing at two. I think Burrow's going one. Where it gets interesting is the three pick with the Lions because Bob Quinn is a New England guy, come to Detroit. Matt Patricia, a New England guy, comes to Detroit. And then the four pick, Joe Judge, is a New England guy coming to the Giants. So if you are to say, and I know there's been rumors of it and, you know, whatever, but if you are to say the Patriots are going to take some huge swing to move up to get Tua or Herbert, 
there's at least some familiar names and Flores of course is the five pick like they, all those guys worked for Belichick and that is a lot easier to make a trade with someone you know and that you can talk to and who look at, looks at you as a mentor than it is to call blindly to a coach or a GM that maybe you don't have the relationship with. Is there a world where Cincinnati knows that Washington wants Chase Young and and it's like we actually might take Chase Young one and now if I'm Washington I'm like oh shit yeah that that kind of ruins our plans wait how do we convince you not to do that and it, there's a little pick swap thing because Chase Young is look I barely follow college football I'm not going to pretend to know anything I, yeah. I get most of my draft insights from the ringers Danny Kelly but you can tell when the people are writing about the different players who the absolute unequivocal, there's no fucking way this guy is missing guys are. And it seems like Chase Young is like a 10 out of 10 in that conversation. Like you draft him, he's going to be awesome. End of story. So what if, what if since he played a little bluff game with, with Washington, I think it would work. It, it, it would be very interesting if they did, they haven't yet. And they keep it pretty close to the vest too. If to explain the bangles a little bit for your listeners, I mean, like the Ravens have like 28 scouts and like a 40 person coaching staff and a strength. The Bengals are like, you know, a 10 person scouting department, uh, a coach, Zach Taylor, who's got his assistants and trusted guys, but like, they're not one of these giant apparatuses. They're one of these small, almost, I would say family teams. And like Mike Brown is the owner and you say what you want, but like th they're going to do things. There was a story that like I, I remember hearing that Achilles Smith was their pick, I think, in 99 in that famous 99 draft, third overall. And the Saints offered their entire draft because they wanted Ricky Williams to move up to them. And they were like, no, we don't trade our top picks. Like, we stay put. Like, the Bengals are not a big shaker mover. Let's throw out a, a crazy, you know, fireworks display to make you bluff it. Like, no, if they're going to take Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor is looking to groom a quarterback and he's an Ohio guy, like... I don't see it in their character as a franchise to start throwing out false rumors. And Duke Tobin is the, the front office guy who kind of runs their war room. And my years dealing with him has never done anything but shoot me straight, but also has never been one of these guys to say, we might be trading. Like we're interested. Like it's just not the Bengals way. Well, you can't argue with the incredible results they've had. So I don't, I don't know why we would criticize them. I mean, all the, all the playoff wins. So then. The, so three would be the pivot spot. And then if, I mean, all it takes is two teams. If two yeah. teams just get super fired up for Tua. But I don't even know if it's Tua. Like the stuff that I'm hearing now is that this, and I hate to make it about football. Like we are talking about such a minor priority in the world right now when it comes to like the coronavirus, but no player in this draft might've been negatively impacted more than Tua because the whole point of the pro day was to show his hip and how he can throw and all things. The whole point of these visits that he was going to spend all of April meeting with teams was to wow them on the board and, and show them the charisma that he has that everyone speaks about. Like I'm, I'm talking to him over Skype and I haven't had a chance to have my doctor look at him and he's a lefty, which is not so common. And like, yeah, there's a lot of little things that, maybe would have been addressed in the pre-draft process. Whereas Justin Herbert, who we could talk about him a little bit is like, you know, looks like, uh, looks like your, your classic NFL quarterback throws the ball. Well, was a Rose bowl MVP four year player, academic, all American. Like 
you know with Justin Herbert what you're kind of going to, the upside and what the downside might be. The downside is that he's not the most outspoken leader. He's not actually one of these rah-rah guys. He was kind of just another guy, and, and players liked him and teammates liked him, but there never was that Pied Piper thing that maybe Baker Mayfield, or in this case, Tua has. You're really basing it on college film, hope and a prayer that the agent is, is being honest, his combine medicals, and then what Nick Saban's telling you. And I don't know if teams are willing to put all their eggs in that basket. And you're basing it on your own job security. Yeah. Because if you're wrong and Tua's hip is worse than you thought and you didn't and you're, you're out, you're not working. Yeah. You're not going to be and a GM of a team anymore. The counter to that would be, all right, well, the Dolphins regret passing on Drew Brees because of the last second their doctor said his shoulders, you know, busted. And other teams would say, okay, well, this player had an injury in college, but this is the quarterback you're taking with a top five pick. You'd like to know what you're getting. And, you know, the rumors are that the Dolphins might not be in love with Tua and that mm. their guy is Burrow and they've got three first round picks. And that's where it gets kind of interesting with a chess match a little bit. Could the Dolphins take a big swing and they offer three first round picks and move up to one? Or is it that the Dolphins just sit pretty at five, take Tua or even take Justin Herbert at five? Is there a world where the Tua falls to the Patriots at 23 or no? I don't see that, but I could see Tua falling to like seven, eight, nine. And that becomes a lot easier to trade for the Patriots with the 23rd pick and some draft capital than getting up to the top five, which I think is really hard to do with what they've got in the draft. It, it might take a veteran player from the Patriots. And I don't know who's even worth that on their roster. Oh, I have one. Like, I don't know I if have there one is for that you. guy. Who? What about Mohamed Sanu? We, yeah, he was I, a second round pick. Lot. So Mohamed Sanu in 23, how high can we go? That's, you know, I don't know if any teams. <laughs> so are not, can we go to 22? <laughs> Sanu could have done himself a lot of favors and the Patriots could have used him to do something last season. I know your father is uh, very well versed in Muhammad Sanu. Oh, my dad thinks Sanu is the mole that after the <laughs> devastating Falcons Super Bowl loss, he just decided he wasn't going to help us and miss blocks and drop stuff. And he was I'll just still forget. mad. We had Sanu on Good Morning Football like a week after the Super Bowl, and he couldn't have been cooler. He was good, but he said like one line, and it, it was one of those deals where you get it all the time with the message boards and the NBA. Like someone says something on your podcast, and it just goes way viral. But he said like we weren't like we weren't good in the second half because the halftime show was so long, you know, like something like that. Like, uh, and everyone went nuts. You know, the halftime show is long. That is BS. Like how get and it, the poor guy, like he just got absolutely crushed for that comment. And yet you say Muhammad's a new Super Bowl. That's what I think of. Do you think there's a world where um, the Patriots punt on 2020 and, and just take their lumps for one year? A lot of the Warriors this year. No, I, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see either. that from Belichick. I don't see it from Josh McDaniels. There's too much pride in that room. Like you don't bring back Matthew Slater and the McCourties if like you're just going to take a mulligan this year. I think they're in it this year. And I, to be honest, I, I don't know when, you know, we're going to start doing season previews and what happens at the draft. But like, I wouldn't bet against the Patriots this year in the AFC East. Like th after that playoff loss, are you slam dunk Buffalo Bills or the team to beat right now? Like, I don't, I could see just the, just the fact that Belichick's on those sidelines being enough in the defense. And then you find a quarterback, whether it be Stidham or somebody else in the draft or a free agent and you compete because Matt Castle went 11 and five. I certainly think that they can do it with this roster. I think McDaniels and probably Belichick too are excited to have a different type of quarterback that yeah. they, somebody who can roll out and do stuff. And, and I think they just the way football really changed over this last decade and 
how Brady played the position where everything had to be perfect. Somebody, even like Nikhil Harry, who's such a great athlete, he had to kind of fit into this mold of what a Patriot receiver is. I think all bets are off next year. They're going to get super weird. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure having a mobile quarterback is a big thing of it because that's where the league went. And you think like the Mahomes, the biggest play of last season was Mahomes backpedaling for 15 yards and then throwing it 50 yards in the air to save his season. Um, I'm sure they're excited to to have that, whether it's Stidham or somebody else. Out of a shotgun, Mahomes goes an additional nine yards and throws the ball to Tyreek Hill, who, by the way, is a player that the Patriots do not have on the roster, a speed receiver, who gets separation 40 yards down the field. Like, sure. I, I would also say this. Like, there's a bit of a challenge to McDaniels and Belichick where those guys, that's all they need. Like, oh, doubt us. Like, we'll make this work. We'll figure this out. Um Last year, when I remember speaking with Brady at the end of the season, he was like, I don't blame Jacoby Myers or Nikhil Harry. They're rookies. Like, it's just so frustrating for me sometimes because I expect this standard of excellence. Like, you hear that every day in the building. I wonder if McDaniels and Belichick are like, all right, dude, like, we understand, but we've got some good things here. You could still win with this team. I would be very curious to see who wins more games and how they go about their football. The Buccaneers with Brady. And then the Patriots without Brady. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a, it's the Buccaneers in a slam dunk at all. Well, one thing that will be sure, and take it from somebody who had Evans and Godwin on the on, I had them on my fantasy team last year. They they Evans a few times during the course of the season was just utterly dismayed by Jameis, like <laughs> openly just bummed out at you know, especially around the goal line, or he'd be open on some way Jameis wouldn't see him. And, you know, we've had receivers like that over the years, most famously probably Moss in the mid two thousands when, you know, especially that one Raider season where he was just wide open going, what the fuck I'm wide open. I do think if Brady can click with those guys going from everything they went through with Jameis, who I'm, I still defend to just like all the stuff Tom Brady hopefully can still do at his age. I, that would be really fun to watch. On the other yeah, hand, James could tell sling you. it and was unpredictable. And Evans and Godwin were good sometimes when things broke down and you're trying to extend plays. And Brady can't do that. So I don't know how it's going to play out, but I, I think it's a fun subplot. It absolutely is. Um, I could tell you that Arians and Brady, you know, whether it's over Zoom or whatever, like the communication lines are open. And like from what I've heard from the guys in Tampa, like Brady's dialed in right now. New verbiage, new offense, new coach. And like yeah. BA is one of these guys that like he was James's biggest fan when he when he hired, but like he's pretty transparent. He was like he was pretty downright like open that like James is not working out like last year. Yeah. You put Arians with Brady, who is just like it, there's gonna be books and movies, and there already have been about Brady's, you know, student of the game stuff, but like Brady's a sick pup with this stuff and wants to be awesome and not just be limber and pliable, but like learn a new offense and show those guys up in new England that he can do it with a different coach and different players and have success without them too. Yeah. I, how much does Bruce Arians, how, how much alcohol, like, does he drink more than my mom? You think? Cause every Bruce Arians story is like, that guy's fun, man. Grip it and rip it. It, it just seems like he's a legendary. If you want to go to the hotel bar and hang out with somebody, Oh, Bruce Arians will, will, will hang out and have one. He seems like the most fun guy. How is he able to be an NFL coach? He's fantastic. He's one of the coolest guys in the entire league. And I, every year there's the owners meetings and like 
I always end up linking up with Arians and whether it's for a drink or it's a coffee, whatever it is, like I, I love the dude, but yes, he is a classic bar fly, but also like one of these guys that will reach out to the younger coaches, give them wisdom, like help, like, just a beloved guy in the league. Um, but yeah, like a cool guy, like cool. I don't, I don't want to say grandpa or anything. Cause whatever it is, but like one of those guys you want in your crew at a bar, like he'd be a top five guy. Um, give me your biggest bold prediction for this NFL draft that's coming up. Ooh. Ooh. Um, big trade, big move. Somebody throwing their dick and balls on the table and just going yeah. all in like what? Yeah. <sighs> One thing I know for sure, the New York Jets are going to address the offensive line. There's going to be a real interesting fork in the road moment for them, though, at 11, because I can't name you their wide receivers right now. It's like Jamison Crowder, Robbie Anderson's gone, and there are three wide receivers in this draft. It's Jerry Judy, who's compared to Chad Johnson. There's CeeDee Lamb, who's compared to DeAndre Hopkins. And there's Henry Ruggs, who's compared to Tyreek Hill. And their general manager right now, Joe Douglas, who I've known for many years, is a former offensive lineman and is one of these guys, you build the team inside out and we have to address offensive line. There's going to be offensive linemen on the board, but those three wide receivers might be sitting there. I think it's going to be a really interesting moment with what they do the 11th pick. I would say my prediction is the Jets go offensive line over all three of those superstar wide receivers and Jets fans might be outraged. They might go crazy. But I think the Jets are going to try to protect Sam Darnold before going for one of these Pro Bowl wide receivers. And that might have a very, very big reaction in the New York area. Well, this this is the year to do that because there will be no fans at the draft. Yeah. There will be no Jets fans going going crazy. They they signed Perriman from the Bucks, who was my favorite middle-class free agent. I was hoping the Patriots would get him. He was really good last year. I thought he was like a legitimate asset for the bucks. So if they got, if they had him, but then they got one of those guys you mentioned at number 11 and, and uh big Sam is kind of moving again. Like who knows? Um, yeah. can we talk about the Rams before we go? Yeah. Are they like a 30 for 30 at this point? I don't think so. I, okay. Let the fall of the Rams is not going to be on the 2022 30 for 30 schedule. Let me sell the Rams for you just briefly. All right. McVay's widely viewed as one of the most innovative coaches in the league. He has no children. So during this entire quarantine, he is locked in watching film, just doing what these football guys do, studying stuff. Wade Phillips is no longer there. Everyone loves Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips was, I don't know, in the 60s, 70s, whatever. They hire a guy, Brandon Staley, as their new defensive coordinator, who I'm told is very similar to McVay, locked in, young, hungry, comes from Vic Fangio's system out there in Denver. He's studying everything like a madman. Offensive coordinator, they bring in Kevin O'Connell, the former Patriots quarterback. He's now their OC. He's one of these dudes, speak the same language as McVay. And they know that they still have Jalen Ramsey, who might be the top cornerback in football, Aaron Donald, who might be the top defensive tackle in football, Cooper Cup, Brandon Cooks, and the quarterback that they like in Jared Goff, like they don't think things are as melting as the rest of the world. And I'll tell you, I don't know if he'd be, I, I've heard it. I don't know what the details are, but like because of the quarantine and all this stuff, like the Todd Gurley news wasn't delivered in some sit down over like four hours. It was one of those deals where like McVay and Gurley spoke, but it was over maybe FaceTime or a broken cell tower. Or like why? Like, it wasn't this clean, like Todd, we love your work here. It was kind of like, 
this is a guy who won offensive player of the year two years ago, and we've got to let him go over Skype. Like it wasn't how they wanted it. And yet I think they're hungry and they're one of these teams that are opening a new stadium. Like there's a lot of smart people on that coaching staff and in that building where I think with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and Jared Goff and all those names, they can figure it out and they can win some football games. How is that? That makes sense. Yeah. It feels, I think cap wise, they're in too much trouble this year though. I know it's an uphill battle and they don't have a first round pick and they didn't do much in free agency. They got Brockers, but like, yeah, dead cap for Gurley. The Cooks thing, it's not going to end well. I, I don't know how many concussions he's up to, but he's somebody that he's one more away from. I personally don't think he should play football anymore, but, you know, it's, a, it's his life, not mine. But yeah. he's one more away from he won't be playing football anymore. And I, it's a tough one to rely on. So you have him and Gurley, all the money and capital they spent on those guys, plus the first-round pick they gave up. Then all and the Ramsey. stuff they gave up for Ramsey. And the fact that they have no drafts going forward and you know, it, it's really weird. I've heard the theory that they, they were really stepping on the gas just because they had this new stadium coming and they wanted to have excitement for the stadium. I don't think that mindset has ever worked ever for a team where it's like, Hey, this thing's happening. We need to get players to get fans excited. Like fans like winning. They don't, yes. they, they, they want the wins. They don't, the fact that Jalen Ramsey and Brandon Cooks are on the Rams or that Todd Gurley signed up long-term, that's that's not helping you fill a stadium. And by the way, no, you they, don't. Weren't, they weren't filling that stadium either way. It's not happening. No, and you People don't aren't buying Rams seat licenses. Yeah, the the Chargers, everyone says they should go get Cam. They've got to sell this ticket. Like, again, like same argument. Or they got to get Tua because they got to sell tickets. Like, it might help fan enthusiasm, but if they start off 2-10, and 10, it, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't yeah, think so the don't Rams have fans. are as worried about that. You, but they, they don't have fans. It's not like you throw fans in the microwave and you put them in for five minutes and you pull them out. It's like, hey, we got we found some more fans. Like fan, the Clippers found the same thing. They had this whole thing with Kawhi and Paul George, and here we go. It's it's a two two basketball team city now. And it's like, guess what? It's not. It's a Lakers town. You guys yeah. are just here and you're not beating that. So with the with the Rams, I and now on top of it, like maybe that stadium's not even ready in time for next season. I, I don't even know, you know, they were behind schedule anyway. It's rough what, times. What's your feeling being there and knowing, you know, but like Chargers and Rams, those two organizations, I could tell you when they talk about the other one, it's not all warm and fuzzy. They're renting the place to get like the Chargers. Is there even any buzz right now for the Rams and Chargers? I know we're in a weird time in the world, but like, last year, like there's a new stadium coming and anytime a sports writer flies over that, that stadium, they take a photo from their plane and like post about it. Is there any juice right now? No. Yeah. No, I think the chargers cannot long-term stay here because, um, there's no roadmap to them succeeding or selling out their games other than the other team's fans. So whether they go to London, Mexico city, I don't know what are other football locations that have been mentioned. Like it's not happening here. It will never happen here ever. Yeah. And they're very poorly run and they don't realize that like they need it. They have to have a come to Jesus moment. Like this is not happening. Even if they moved to orange County and played in a 20,000 seat stadium there, at least that's something like you'd be able to draw the orange County Anaheim people maybe, or it, they just, they're never going to belong to anyone here. I don't see it. And both teams are trying their hardest. Like, 
The Rams came out with their uniforms a couple of weeks ago. The Chargers are announcing new logo, new uniforms, April 21st. Like they're doing everything by the book that you're supposed to. I, I, you know, to me, the Rams are a lot further along, but like the Chargers have a maybe better young team. So we'll see yeah. how it plays out. Um, I, well, I was a couple hoping, games I was as a hoping, or, what is that? I was saying, I was hoping, uh, Jameis for them with their, the with their weapons they have. I just feel like I would watch that team. That'd be a fun team. I don't yeah, think they would go to the Super late. Bowl. Yeah. Still could happen. Uh, the thing with the chart, I did those games at the StubHub or whatever they were calling it, Dignity Health. Like, it was actually a pretty cool environment. Like, it was fun to go to those. It felt like an MLS yeah. stadium. And, you know, who knew if, like, Lou Bega or Bick Runga was playing afterwards tomorrow in a concert. Like, it's not like an A-list <laughs> venue, but that actual band box, if they had their own fans, it would have been a distinct advantage. It was really cool doing a game there. Yeah, I wonder Canada, too, whether that's conceivable. Yeah. I just feel Let's, like LA is LA would be not in my top 10 choices for Chargers locations. There's got to be yeah. 10 cities that they would have a slightly better chance, you know? Yeah, it's too bad. Um, all right, this was fun. I'm glad you're safe. Uh, we will, I guess, just follow you on Twitter, and you'll tell us when Good Morning Football comes back. Yeah, and then, I think it's uh, coming back sooner rather than later. And obviously the draft is in two weeks, but uh, all you, I always text you, you guys at the ringer, you guys are keeping me afloat right now. A lot of good podcasts and I appreciate oh, all appreciate the stuff it. you guys are doing. Well, I'm really excited. Next time you come on post-draft, hopefully the man bun will be like fully in place. Oh, I'll, I'll be rocking it. It's good. Yeah, I feel all like right. you're three weeks away. All right, good to see you. You're the man. Thank you. Let's take a break to talk about Miller Lite, which was my official beer dating way back to college still makes me happy just to hold the bottle. Uh, we've seen, especially with adults who miss each other and have longtime friendships, like me and house and Jacko here later, people are getting together and just having, having drinks on zoom or Google hangout or wherever. Well, during this time of social distancing, connecting with friends over a beer, maybe it looks a little different, but guess what? As the original light beer, Miller light has always been there to bring people together in real life through Miller time. Having Miller time is tough when you can't be with your people. Well, everyone's in the same boat. Our favorite local bars are temporarily closed. Events have been canceled. Social distancing is in full effect. And maybe you can't get together with them in real life, but it can still be enjoyed with your people, just not in bars or gatherings. Hop online. Go see your friends. Have one with the family. Right now, staying connected, super duper important. We're actually, I think we're going to do a little Holy Cross Zoom this week with me and all my friends. We're going to talk about that later. But look, break out the Miller Lite. Tastes great. Less filling. Won't get in the way of enjoying uh, enjoying your time, your catch-up time. It's the original light beer when you're home. Enjoy a classic available for delivery today. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. All right. On the line right now, we're doing a little Zoom call. My friend Jason Blum. Hello, hello. He he, uh, he runs Blumhouse. You've seen a lot of their movies. They they have been doing really well, and now they're at the forefront of this weird change in the movie industry that's either temporary or we might be moving toward something that is just a new direction entirely. You had The Invisible Man, and you had... The Hunt? The Hunt. The Hunt. Mm-hmm. I saw The Invisible Man in the theater because, as you know, with the Simmons family, big horror movie family. Of course. Uh, the Hunt on demand 
and all you have these two releases coming out right as everything is changing. What have you learned from the intelligence of the last four weeks, just from how people bought the movies, all that stuff? Um, we've learned, we've learned, uh, we've learned a lot. It's been, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's a big question. There's, there's a lot going on around it. Uh, we've had, we put both movies on, uh, on PVOD uh, at 1995 at the one at the end of its theatrical run, one at the beginning of its theatrical run. The one at the end of the theatrical run, which was the invisible man was a, was a very successful theatrical run. The hunt not so didn't open very well. And, and quickly, you know, was at the very beginning, didn't open very well, didn't hold. And then COVID shut the theaters and that was the end of it. So we were looking at two very different cases um, but we were also, we also had these two movies, which had tens of millions of dollars of advertising behind them available for rental right now on television, which is almost, you know, never really been done. If you think about it in that, in, in those terms, that's never been done. And there, there are great things about it. There are sad things about it. Um, but I think it's an ongoing experiment. I guess the big question is, the results on, from both films were quite good. But what we don't yet know is how many people bought that movie for $20 that would have rented it will no longer rent it. So, oh, interesting. So if we lose, if we lose our, 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 a bunch of revenue from downstream windows, from our rental windows, um, if the ancillary rights become less valuable, the pay, the pay, the television rights, all that stuff, then it didn't, it didn't work out so well, but if that doesn't happen, I tend to not think those windows are going to be that affected by people buying it for 20 bucks, um, for two days, but, but we really don't know. And the, and the, and the, the, this is a very long answer to your question, but the, but the short answer is we won't really be able to say whether it was a successful experiment or not for about six or eight months. So the important thing just uh, short term was that people were finding it on demand and and spending twenty dollars on it in lieu of being able to go to the movie theater. You do feel like that audience is there. The audience was definitely there. The audience was definitely there. But would the audience be there in the same way when the movie theater was open? You know, that's what there were so many other variables that it's not really a, a, a it's not a terrific way to test because there is no other alternative. There aren't. 10 movies they can go see at the theater instead of spending $20 on your movie at home. So it's, it's a, it's a tough way to test this. You know, the big movie coming up is trolls, which opens tomorrow. Yep. And in a, in a, in a way that test will be slightly more pure because there'll be no theatrical with trolls. So trolls is just going to go. It, it's just going to be. It's the first time where you've had, and this is multiple tens of million dollars of campaign, and the movie will only be available at home. It will never have been available in a theater. Do you have any idea what, like, where people are doing their on demand? Is it Amazon? Is it Apple? Is it Vudu? Like, who is like the leader? Who is the go-to place to get it? It's a totally great question, and I, I don't. We Universal has the has that information. I haven't asked them yet, but I, now that you ask me, I'm going to ask them. Because I would say, Apple does that thing with the app where if you use Amazon or Vudu or any other places, you can't actually buy the movie 
because cause the apps want you to go to their website to buy it. Yeah, so it right. seemed like Apple has an advantage, but I would love to know how that shakes out. What? So when this happened, I talked on my podcast about the 2008 writer strike. And when things shut down, they kind of stumbled into, oh shit, why are we doing the pilot season this way? Are we making too many of these? And then within a year, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to make one fifth as many pilots. And then going forward, that just became the new normal. I know, I know it's hard to say, is this going to be the new normal? Cause obviously it's not, but do you see a world where there's like a hybrid model where people go to the theaters to see the big ass movies and movies like the way back, or I don't know, maybe even the hunt are just straight on demand for a certain price. And that's how we do it. Or am I overthinking it? No, no, definitely not overthinking it. I see, I see it slightly differently. Although obviously no one knows. I love the way back, by the way. Did you see that? Yeah. I thought it was excellent. I thought it was awesome. I thought it yeah. was, yeah, I thought it was great. Incredible. Thought, Affleck. Amazing. Affleck was terrific. He was amazing. It's my favorite, my two favorite, genre, two of my favorite genres are addiction and sports and addiction and sports together was like, it was a home run for me. It was great. Yeah, it was good. I liked it um, too. Um, so I think it would be a little different than what you said, but what I would agree with you is that movie going, the available titles and what movie going is going to be like in post COVID is going to be different than it was pre COVID for sure. How it's going to be different. I'm not sure, but I don't think it's going to be, I think it might be big movies. Um, temple movies might be exclusively in the theater still for three or four months, but maybe the hunt would be in the theater for two weeks. I think it might be more like that as opposed to just, there are movies still in the theaters for three or four months, and the movies in the th or they're not in the, the and they're not in the theater at all. Now, exhibition would say you're out of your mind. That's never happening, but we don't know. Do we think there's maybe the same model we had before, except once a movie's out of the theater, it immediately goes on demand for maybe fourteen ninety nine or seventeen ninety nine or something, where you have like two weeks to see the hunt in the theater. And then after yeah. that, it's immediately on demand. Yes. I think that's very, I think that's very possible. I think that's one of the ways they're going to, the studios and exhibitors haven't, they haven't resolved the conflict here. Right. And they don't know how it's going to resolve, but that may be a compromise that it's, it's exclusive in theaters for a shorter time. That would allow the studios to save an enormous amount of money because they don't have to do the second campaign is never as expensive as the first, but studios have to do multiple campaigns when the movie is available in different mediums. They have to do the theatrical campaign, then the home entertainment campaign. So if they could be, in, if they could save them money on one campaign for the two week theatrical, and then it goes to your home, um, you know that'd be there'd be a big advantage to the studios for that, and and exhibition would wind up getting newer movies all the time. So your local cinema, every week, your the theater may have 10 new movies every week, the 10 new movies. Now that's not, you're not gonna go to the movies every week, but it, your choice of what you can see in the movie theater could become a lot greater. Well, it would seem like, yeah, you'd have that. That would be a benefit to the moviegoer. Uh, there's benefits to, there's real promotion. Like for The Invisible Man, it was, there's a big marketing campaign, great trailer. 
I remember I was in on the trailer immediately. I'm like, oh, he fucking did it again. I don't know how he keeps doing it. <laughs> and then leading up to it, the movie comes out. But then you still have momentum. It's still in like the zeitgeist. So if it's in the theater for two weeks and then immediately on demand, then now now the moviegoer gets to choose like, do am I this excited to actually see it in the theater? Which as you know, with yeah. my kids, they're they're going, they're not waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Or do I just want to wait two weeks and spend 20 bucks on day 15 of when this movie comes out? I feel like that could actually be a good model that would work. I don't know. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And we got to, we got to, we, we, no, I think it would. We got, and we got to, you know, we got a, a lot of flack about the price. And one of the ways where COVID worked against us is the price. You know, if there, if we could all be seeing each other, you could pay twenty bucks for the, for the Invisible Man and invite forty friends over to see it. So in that case, it would be you know fifty cents a piece. So yeah. um So 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 that I think also would ch- I think would also change people. You know, even if it forty forty is a is a big number, but even if you're saying to your friend, hey, you want to split? Let's each pay ten bucks and watch a movie tonight at home. Um, watch it together or four people. Um, it's $5 a piece, you know, I think you'd see a lot of that. Well, we've talked about this in the past. You have, you know, especially you're looking at the demo, let's just say parents that have young kids, parents that basically every time they leave the house, either their parents have to watch the kids or they have to get a babysitter. And if you're just making it easy for just that demo alone, where it's like for 20 bucks, no babysitter order in, have a glass of wine. And it's like your night at the movies. Like I I do think that would work. So I feel like we're going to learn some, some positive. I'm, I'm in the silver linings mode with how horrible the last month has been. It's like, all right, is anything good going to come out of this? And you think about stuff like the pollution has been so much better in LA and, you know, just grasping for straws, but with how we uh, consume entertainment, I do feel like there's a chance to reset some of this stuff in a lot of ways. And maybe some movies are just better to be in a movie theater for a week and then immediately go on demand. And maybe the whole process should be sped up. Why is the process a year from movie theater on demand to Blu-ray? And then seven months later, cable, HBO, like why, why is it a year? I never understood that. I don't think there's any chance that, the consumer's experience to um, consuming movies is going to improve after COVID. It may not be better for exhibition. It may not be better for producers. It may not be better for the studios. But the but the audience, which is the most important, will be better served after 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 this crisis. After this goes down, what's it like to try to produce movies when nobody can see each other or be in the same room? Um, it's incredibly annoying. I'm trying to be, be your silver lining. It's your, your look for your silver lining. It, it's very, uh, it's very, uh, it, 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 video conference zoom is, um, certainly good for certain kind of this interview. You know, it's not as fun as to do with you in the room, but it's manageable. Yeah. But when you're talking to creative, a creative person, there's so much insecurity and so much like, is this going to be a good idea? And, and part of my job is making whoever I'm talking to 
feel that there really is in this context early on no bad idea. Of course, there's bad. I- of course, some of the ideas that come up in the room are bad. But right now, when we're talking about something early on or how to fix something or whatever, that there is. The, let's just think of any idea. It's very hard to do in this context. You know, I think there's so much nuance that you lose with a little delay and, um, and, uh, and, you know, in that way even makes development hard. Producing, actually shooting is impossible. Right. So everything, like, did you, how many movies did you have that were like in the, at the early stages of being made or actually being made that just yeah. shut down immediately? We had, we had, we had one movie and four TV shows in production and they all shut down. We had BJ Novak's movie uh, shooting in New Mexico. You know, for BJ, it's um, it's uh, it's a dream scenario. He had shot um, three or four weeks of a of a five week shoot, or, or or right around right in there, and he gets to go home, cut together what he has, look at it, and when we go back up for the last week, he gets to you know address anything that's missing. So you know, for the filmmaker, it's great. For the people on the crew and the people working for him, it's it's not good. Um, and, uh, and obviously it's, it, it, it has a ripple effect with everything. Like our, our production shut down, our release dates are in question. Like feels like everyone is going on a pause and what's including salaries and everything else. And, and what's difficult about that is that because movies are take, there's such a long tail on movies, like the market won't see the pause. It, 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 it's like during this time of COVID, all the movies are ready to be released now, but the pause we're going to see in movies is going to be a year from now because for six months we won't have made anything. But no one, the consumer's not going to feel that until for you know for six months. It'll be interesting. Well, and you're also going to have a glut with all these movies that are getting rolled over and competing and against the movies true. that were already designated. So they're yeah. they're going to have to really be smart about who they're competing against when we, you know, what weekend and stuff like that. I, look, who knows when, when things are going to be safer. And I know, you know, the two of us aren't going to figure it out, but I do feel like it's going to take a while, even if they're telling us things are safer for people to be like, Oh, cool. I can't wait to sit in a movie theater with 50 people again. So yeah, um, um, that might might be a year to come back. Well, I'm going to go back to that one sec, but the glut of the, there actually isn't going to be a glut. I guess that's what I was saying, not in an articulate way, but there's six months of movies now that are being taken off the schedule and jammed into the schedule, but there's six months of production that didn't happen. The problem is the movies and the whole in production don't line up. So what we'll see is all these movies now will be sprinkled over the next 18 months, but there'll be this many movies less that aren't just aren't going to happen, you know, or are going to happen later. Got it. But the move would be to maybe hold a couple movies so that, you know, maybe, maybe movies are coming out that were made 18 months earlier. We might be in that scenario, right? Where people are like, oh, that'd be a good weekend for it to come out. I think we're going to see that. We're already talking about that with some of our movies of like, if it would come out, in late 21. And I think we're going to see that. I think that's, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of that. Have you talked about when are people like how unrealistic it is for people to go back in a, into a movie theater six months from now? I don't know. I, I, I disagree with you on that. I think we okay. all, for better Make the case. Worse, we, when my case is we have the memory of fleas. I think as soon as 
I think, I think, I think our habits will go back really fast. I may be being totally naive about that. Turn your ringer but, off. Or, or, or wishful thinking, or it's wishful thinking. But I do feel like um, we'll be on to something else. And I think, I think people are going to go back to going out to eat, to going to Disneyland, to going to movies. I, I, just, don't, I just don't see I don't see I hope that you're right. changing. We'll I hope see. you're right. <laughs> how, many, um, how many virus movies have, have you been pitched? I would imagine you're the league leader in... Um, pitched virus movies at this we're point. We're not doing we're not doing a virus movie. I told everyone, no, we're not because there are going to be so many. We made two. We made The Bay with Barry Levinson and we made a movie called Viral. There are two uh, Blumhouse virus movies we already made and that, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. Cuz it it does feel like you think about some of these ones like even The Walking Dead. And yeah. and which seems like, you know, this post-apocalyptic scenario that would never happen and then you start thinking like, oh, well, that's not that that it's there feels like a small piece of everybody's worst fear of all this stuff. I don't know. I'm I'm in a dark place. All I've been doing is watching TV. And, and I uh I, I love how they've had everyone involved in contagion has been on one news outlet or another. Like oh my god, expert, like they're grasping at straws. Any expert, like oh you 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 were you were the PA on contagion. Let's get you on. <laughs> yeah. Um defend the last 20 minutes of Invisible Man to me. You heard my case. Oh, about the last, the last twenty minutes of Invisible Man. Um, you you were mad because I made the case like I I felt like there was a hole and you were like what the hell? Yes, I remember. I remember. I remember. You just got to remind me again. Remind me again. So my case was yeah. If if I, I'll try to do this in the in a spoiler free way. If if we're thinking door A is is what is the road we're going down with this movie? And then it flips to door B so conveniently. Um, what was the point of, of not just being door A? Did I say that right? We, we flipped it where door A is this evil character. Yes. Right. Uh, then, right. Then we go down door B and now the evil character from door A He's just back to his normal life, just having having meals in his house, invite invite guests over. It's like that's what? Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That, that was my. That was my. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Was, exactly. That was well, my nitpick. Well, 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 my my I I can't I can't give you my answer right now because it complicates my future. Okay, fair. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth Elizabeth Moss was. Um, about as overqualified of an actress who's ever been in a horror movie, right? I mean, like, she was amazing. Yeah, it it made me think. Like, I don't know why great actors haven't picked horror movies more. It's such a good format if you're like awesome at acting. You know, to react in certain ways and to react just with your eyes, and you know, it, it's it's a really interesting thing. You know, we had um. We, we, when I, when I, 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 I'm, I'm really good friends with Ethan Hawke and I've always tried to get him to do a movie and he never wanted to do a horror movie. And the reason he never wanted to do them is because he doesn't like them and because he actually gets really scared by them and he doesn't like that feeling of being scared. So I, I set him up with Scott Derrickson on Sinister and he was just shocked. You know, Scott was like, there's nothing scary about making a scary movie. Like the set is not yeah. scary. There's craft service, like no, no scary stuff happens. 
And um, and Ethan was really surprised by that. And there was nothing scary. And then he did The Purge. I mean, he now he's actually Ethan I is a total convert. He loves scary movies. And the 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 thing also to your point is that scary movies live or die on the performance of the lead character and if you believe they're scary. And it's really hard to do. I mean, one of the reasons right. that Invisible Man works so well is because um, Elizabeth Moss is so good. Like you buy, you buy it, but it's really hard to sell being scared of like ghosts or, you know, a lot of make-believe stuff or, you know, whatever, actors. And, um, and uh, you know, one of the tenants in the company, we have, we, you know, Terry Taylor cast, is cast every one of our movies. She's actually an executive at Blumhouse, which is very unusual. Most producers yeah. don't have a casting department. And um, we actually have a big casting department that, that's run by Terry. And, and we put an enormous amount of um, importance on, you know, on the fact that the actors have to be great. And I'd much rather cast a great actor than an actor who'd been in four scary movies before. Studios sometimes are like, oh, we got to get a scary movie actor. And I, I actually don't like doing that. I like getting actors who are awesome. And it's actually, sometimes it's a lot better to have an actor who hasn't been in a scary movie. Well, I think that was why The Conjuring became one of the, you know, best horror movies the last 15 years. They had totally. really good lead actors. Yeah. That completely. were kind of, it was surprising they were in a horror movie, you know? And I, I look back, there's a Meryl Streep yeah, movie. Patrick, from, it's a Pat, Patrick was in Insidious, remember? Yeah. Patrick um, Wilson, yeah. Um, the, uh, Still of the Night with Meryl Streep and Roy Scheider. Right. Which is way back, like for almost 40 years ago. <laughs> right. Typical, like, you know, stupid thriller plot. And they had these completely overqualified act. It's like Meryl Streep in danger of being scared. It's like, this is amazing. It's like amazing. the only time she did that. I wish she had done like four or five of those. She's uh, done, what, she did, didn't she do a, she's done some thrillers, hasn't she? Yeah, she did like The River Wild. The River Wild. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. What's yeah. your what's your favorite horror movie of the last um five years that you're the most jealous of that you guys didn't do? Oh well, I'll tell you what I'm the most I, I I'll tell you my 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 I have never talked about this. It's my deepest, it's kept me up much more than COVID. We um uh had the um uh, Joe Exotic, the Tiger. What? What? The Tiger. Oh, you had Tiger King. We we had Tiger King. We I saw that footage. Totally blame myself. I saw that footage early, and Eric uh, was kind enough to show it to us. And um and uh and and I I loved it, and I wanted to do it, but but I botched it in some way, which is probably not so interesting. We just blew it. But I, I every so often. I have, you know, The Conjuring is the live, it was almost 10 years ago, the last time I had something that was like, it's going to kill me. And that is the, that is the new one. It's, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm not going to recover for years over it. And I loved it, that's, by the way. I, I thought it was amazing. I loved it. That's a tough one. What's that was the, a tough one. What's the oldest horror movie that you would recommend? Like, how far would you go back that you feel like is a movie that it's still scary? Still, like, like for me, like Halloween, Amityville Horror is about as far as I would go back. Really? I, I really like, I think Amityville Horror is fucking scary now. And that movie has like no, but I would cat go, eye I would, gadgets. I would go further back than that. Okay, go. Um, 
I Would mean, you, go- dial, you ever see Dial M for Murder? It's super creepy. I mean, that's from the 30s. I, I don't know. Once, once you get past 75 for me, it just feels so dated. I can't like totally get into it. I'm thinking about how even The Exorcist just feels like such an old movie to me now. It's still a scary things, but like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get scared watching it. I haven't seen a very old, I guess I've seen a lot of them for remakes. I just saw The Tingler. Remember that movie? I don't remember that one. The Tingler is a Sony movie. It's really not scary, but it was scary at the time. It's like a little, it's like a little, um, it's that the famous horror, horror producer. And it's a little uh, animatronic like bug that jiggles. And I think when they showed the movie, they said they would jiggle some seats and it would be, it was called Come to the Tingler. And anyway, it was not scary. But I think, I, I don't know. I think older movies can be, I guess, more creepy than scary. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I think uh, one genre that, my whole family likes. I mean, there's two versions of there's something wrong with the house. And I think we've seen every version of there's something wrong with the house. It's evil in some way. I like, I think the when a stranger calls remake is really good just because the house in that movie is like incredible. The house they built, which it came out in like 2006. Remind me that movie. Oh, 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 that was the big fancy. That was, it was a DreamWorks movie. That was, um, I saw that at the premiere. That was, was Camilla um, Bell was the babysitter. Walter, Walter Parks. So it's not a real house because my kid, my kids love this movie. And I was like, I'm going to Google and see where this house is. And it was like, they just used the exterior of half of a house and then they built the rest of it. But I like something scary in a giant, like $40 million mansion that has all of these different twists and turns. I'm I'm giving that to you because you came on my pod. Okay, good. There's something with that where that it's just so much property, it becomes scarier. You know, something there. You think, you think, you think. I worry. It's always, it's, 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 yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. There's the guest house. It's like, why is the light on in the guest house? Yeah. That light wasn't on before. Remember Ty West did a, did a scary movie in, uh, in a big fancy estate. Uh, his set first or second movie, you remember? Yeah, I you don't. Remember. I don't. Well, the one thing with the with those ha- with the house in that movie, it was just like very cool, state of the art, like not a realistic house. And the uh, house in this movie. Oh, in the in the when a stranger your- calls. Right, right. It was like right. it was like where is this house? There's there's a right. house like this, and it turns out like it was all sound stages. It was all made up. It was all made up. <laughs> when are we going to be tired of the? There's something wrong with the house gimmick. I feel like never. I don't know. It's an old, it's just, it's just people love that. So the house for Get Out, the first house, the house that we almost shot Get Out at, Dan Loeb bought a house um, in Bel Air and he tore it down to build a new house. And the, the house that he bought before he tore it down, Jordan and I went to go look at, we almost shot Get Out there. Would have been very different. Would have been, would have felt very different. But the house is yeah. always a big part. You know, in, um, in, um, in the Purge, the first Purge movie, uh, we had all picked out a house. Uh, it was this super cheap house. I always give Andrew and uh, Brad, Brad Fuller and Andrew Form credit for this. And uh, we 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 had were about to shoot in this house, and they were like, God, "Jason, you just can't. We can't make the Purge movie in this house." And we went and found um, the house that we shot the movie in. This 
big spec house. It was, it was like in Calabasas and, um, and, uh, every paranormal house, there's 9 million years of discussion before we chose every paranormal house. Um, on paranormal, as it got bigger and bigger, we would rent two houses. We'd have to get a house and then we'd get a house next door. And instead of having trailers, we would just use the house next door as holding office, everything else. And we had a whole system when we did the paranormal movies around the house. I still think the 1979 Amityville Horror House is the single scariest house to me because they made it almost look like the devil's eyes were the windows. I don't yeah, know how they you, did that. You know that house went on auction, right? That house was sold like by oh, four yeah. years ago. Yeah. I Can wanted you imagine to buy, buying that house? I wanted, to, I wanted to buy the house and make it a Blumhouse scary house and make it a permanent scary uh, attraction, like a, like a ride for everyone. Uh, I mean, you know, like a haunted house, but permanent. But I just, I couldn't get it together. It was super cheap. It sold for nothing. Yeah, it was, it was, it was under a million dollars. I was shocked because yeah. it was like yeah. on the water. I think the house is so creepy because people did die in that house. I mean, there was yeah, a guy was, shot his whole family in there. So I don't know. Yeah, that was the real house with the two windows on the top. I mean, it's amazing. It was amazing. We have a ghost in our house, but it's a friendly ghost. You do. Now, if you yeah. can capture the ghost, if you can capture the ghost on film, that would be very valuable. There's, there's, there's definitely, but it's like a benevolent ghost, which I think is cool, but I totally believe in that stuff. What is the ghost? What does the ghost do? It's just, it's just chill. It hangs, yeah. but right. sometimes like there would be like a weird creak or just like things where you're like, that's not a normal noise. There's definitely something going on there. I've never heard of, I don't have a friend who, has had like a, a malevolent ghost experience. I don't know anybody who's had that. I do believe in it though. We uh, we don't have a ghost in our house currently, but we have a mouse in our house, which is true. And oh. I've set a trap. I've set a trap for the last three nights, different places, different kinds of trap, and I cannot catch this mouse. My wife is very upset about it. What happens with the Halloween sequel remake? Is that done? Yeah, it's finished. What do you mean? So yeah. when does that come out? October. It's called Halloween Kills. Yeah. I'm so ready. And, we're, and we're about to shoot the next one for 2021, the fall of 21, the last one. And fr But Friday the 13th just can't come back, but Halloween, you're going to make 10 of them. No, I'm making three. We made one. I got two more. That's it for Halloween. Then we're going to give that a rest for a while. I don't know plans beyond the three. Friday the 13th, you know, that's my dream. That's my dream. I'm always, I'm, it's always on the top of my mind. Who owns that? Like some Saudi Arabian oil <laughs> family or something? Like who? Basically. No, like 5 million people own it. It's a real, it's a real beast nest. But I, you know, I'm digging. I still think second scariest commercial of any horror movie was, was the I first agree. Friday the 13th. What was the scariest one? Shining. The Shining, I, oh, the I would Shining actually like turn was, the channel. I didn't see the movie because I was so scared of the commercial. It's just That's him not. walking through with the snow and the weird noises and Scatman Crothers being scared, all that stuff. All right, Great. Jason Blum, I'm glad you're doing well. Thanks for updating us on the weird state of the movie industry. Stay safe. Thanks for having yeah. me on. Talk soon. And I'm going to send you more uh, more scary house pictures from movies just to please, so please we, do. We keep doing that. All right, please, thank you. Great. See you later. All right, we're bringing in Jack Owen House in one second. Just wanted to make sure that you were listening to podcasts on Spotify. Here's how you do it. Search for your favorite podcast on Spotify's app. They have a library of over 750,000 pods at this point. So let's say you're searching for the rewatchables. Search on the Spotify app. Once you find the podcast, 
click on it, click on the follow button, and that's how you subscribe. It's that easy. Then, once you followed enough pods, click on those letters near the top of the app that say podcasts. All the pods you're following will pop up separated by episodes, downloads, and shows. On Spotify, you can adjust the speed of podcasts to seven different speeds. 0.5 times, that's the slowest. I would urge you to listen to me on that podcast because I sound like I've had 37 drinks. It's great. You could also do 0.8. You can do 1.2. That's the one I listen to. Uh, 1.5, two times. And then if you're a lunatic, three times. Spotify's app also connects to a lot of the best automobiles, has a CarPlay feature. Best of all, it's free. Download Spotify on any device and you're good to go. All right, so should you be embarrassed that you're not trying to listen to podcasts on Spotify? I'm not going to app shame you, but the answer is yes. Make the move. Listen to podcasts on Spotify. Check out their app. We have some amazing people at Spotify. Yeah, notice how I use we? They own the ringer. We have some amazing people behind the scenes working on a whole bunch of cool stuff uh, that are going to make our podcast sound a lot better and, and have a lot more variables. So anyway, check out the Spotify app. All right, we're bringing in to my oldest friends, House and Jacko. Here they are. All right, we're making history here. I have had this podcast since 2007. House has been on a million times. Jacko's been on a million times. It's very hard for the three of us to be together. That's only happened a couple times because in ro remote locations, you know, you can't, you're interrupting each other. You don't know it. The Zoom thing has been transformative for us. What better time for us to do a three-way Zoom the last time we do a three-way Zoom, I think we had to roofie Jacko first, and then he finally <laughs> consented. Um, but but now we're here, Jacko. How are you holding up in quarantine? Uh, you know, as well as anybody else, I guess the boredom has definitely set in, and uh, you know, I'm drinking at an astronomical level, but uh, you know, that, that's that's part of the course, really. So uh, holding up as well as anybody. How about you? Did you did you remember that you had a family and two kids and? The I whole did. thing. Because it's crazy. House, House didn't realize. He had no idea. He had a <laughs> wife and a son. And House, how's that working out for you? Well, I, I'm just here in the DMV, uh, avoiding people, uh, growing out face hair and um bacon focaccia bread. But nice. the uh the uh the nice thing with the with the facial hair is like it it you know, my wife was sick of me after one day. So I had to grow out the beard and, and try and convince her that I'm somebody else. She, we, Smart. We, we, there's no possible way we could coexist otherwise. Put a little spice back in your marriage. Excellent. Something. Jacko, what was the single most bored thing you've done during the quarantine? Oh, God. If only I could pick one. Uh, it was actually, well, a couple things. Tuesday was actually a nice day here, a rare nice day here in Connecticut. And my wife and I excitedly ordered a bunch of things from Lowe's to reorganize our garage. So it was like, boy, this is exciting stuff. And then uh, I had some laundry to do. And I said, you know what? I'm going to save that laundry for tomorrow. as a nice treat for myself for something to do. <laughs> I don't want to rush in to do it everything at once. really going crazy. I'm going to save that's the right. laundry for tomorrow and spread it out. So I'm like, that, that's where I'm at. That's where we've come to. Parcel it out. That's smart. Parcel yeah, out the absolutely. best moments so of your like week. Organizing the garage, like cleaning out our garage, throwing away a million things and hanging up our garden tools and whatever. That was some exciting stuff. Felt good. Felt good. A lot good of stuff. garage, a lot of garage reorganizing, I think across the country, a lot of closet. I was going to say closet cleaning. Absolutely. 
getting rid of some t-shirts that maybe you didn't realize uh, (laughs) you had from 28 years ago, stuff like that. Absolutely. What's the most bored thing you've done during the quarantine house? Um, it, it's what, what you guys are describing. I jumped into the closet. I have, you know, probably a uh, eight to 10 suits that I stopped wearing 10 years ago. For whatever <laughs> reason, I still have them. Um, it's time to, to give them away. So that that's the highlight. Did you find anything in your closet that you didn't believe you still had? I found multiple things that I used to love to wear that were just like buried. It was, it was yeah, like, right. You know, finding some awesome thing. We we're like, oh my God, this, I love this t shirt. Where was this? It was just gone. But did you get a great only jacket finally? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Found a couple good Holy Cross t shirts. Nice. Um, let's talk about the 86 Masters first. All right. It was on yesterday. I hadn't, I'd seen, you know, YouTube clips or uh, mm-hmm. some ESPN stuff. They actually went, they showed the whole telecast. They showed the whole fourth round Brent Musburger in the Nance seat, which was completely bizarre. Right. I felt like Nance has had that job for a hundred years. The last three holes were basically, I think it was, what was it? Nance Lundquist. And then who was doing 18th? So somebody else major. Kevin was like, Turi was involved. Yeah. Kim, yeah. It was just like all, all of the great Weisskopf was like there. Tom Weisskopf was like the Ken Venturi of, of, well, Tam and Turi is not the guy anymore. Right. He was the Nick Faldo of today. Like the way Nick Faldo is, it was Tom Weisskopf. He was Tom, like in the Butler th- cabin. Yeah, not that good, Tom. Because at one no. point, Nicholas is making a run and Musburger's like, Tom, what's this like? Or maybe Nance asked him, like, what, what's this yeah, like yeah. when you're catching fire like this? And Tom's like, you know, I wouldn't know. Jack's, you know, <laughs> such a better golfer than I was. It's like, <laughs> why are you here? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, wish I knew it was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for the insight. I also but they, like he, he gave us some insight, though, where he said that Jack Nicholas does not really have very good eyesight. And when he put it within like a couple feet on 17, I think it was, and he's like, 16. the crowd went nuts. And he's like, Jack probably can't see it. He's asking Jackie, where is it? Where is it? Because he probably can't see it. I'm like, God, I can see it. I couldn't hit a golf ball the way Jack Nicholas does half blind. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. House, were you surprised at that? That Jack Nicholas was apparently blind as a bat, just <laughs> putting it within three feet of the pin? Well, think about, you know, he was 46 at the time. That's when the eyes go. So it might right. have been a recent, you know, phenomena. Uh, Nicholas and, and Weisskopf's best chance at winning a major was the 1975 Masters that um, yeah. he, he, he and, and Nicholas had the, were tied for the lead going into the last few holes. And, you know, I, I, he, he never really got over that. That was that. So, you know, he, he I, I, that's to the point of him saying, I don't think I could, uh, I could never be as good as Jack. He had his chance and he couldn't do it. Right. It's funny. Like, I, I think for all of us, that was one of the great sporting moments of our sporting days of our lives. Right. Like it's at the 1980 U S Olympic. That's still number one for me. Yeah. Um, for a non like Boston team. I think Jack's probably number two, uh, not counting like things that have happened with my kids in sports and stuff, but he felt so old when we were kids. It was like, Oh my God, he's 46. 46. And now we're all four years older than he was. (laughs) I felt like he was like, 
that's the part that hit me yesterday. I'm like, this was considered like the most miraculous thing in sports because this guy was 46 years old. And I'm right. like, I'm about to be 50. Like, it doesn't seem like he's that old. Like, I think he still has some fight in him. I feel like I got some, got some fight left in me. But they're like, Jack Nicholas has like one foot in the grave when he's winning this tournament. Right. <laughs> the old man, the bear. It's like Tom Brady's three years younger than Nicholas was when he <laughs> right. won the 86 Masters. The other thing that was crazy was how not on the radar it was for CBS. Right. Cause he, he birdies nine and they barely get it in time. They cut to it and the ball's like rolling in like, Oh, Nicholas got a birdie and the crowd's going nuts. And then we don't see him again for another, another like 10, 12 minutes. He birdies 10 birdies, 11. He makes these two really impressive, long, like not cheap putts. And that's when CBS is like, oh shit, what's going on here? And then I totally forgot. He he kind of flubbed the drive on the par 312. He went right. way left and bogeyed it. And then they're like, oh, he fucked up. He missed his chance. He was out. House, when you were watching like just the arc of that, um, what did you what did you forget that you uh relearned as you were watching? Oh wow, that's 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 great. Well, I didn't remember the bogey on 12 because I haven't, you know, relived that hole by hole. Um, but, you know, the, I was more struck by the appearance of all of it. Uh, honestly, <laughs> just just watching it with with fresh eyes. The guys are all out there in clothes that don't have any logos. Nobody's wearing a hat. The clothes are handsome. Why do the clothes look so good now? Uh, you know, style wise, like I, I'd like to rock a couple of those outfits myself right the second. How well, about Nicholas? Just, just piggybacking off of that, how about Sevi Ballesteros with the Nike visor? And it was just like two Nike labels on top of each other. Like, can Nike hire a graphic designer in 1986? Like, eh, just put two labels on top of each other. <laughs> I thought how long Nicholas take them to think, like, let's just put a big swoosh on there. Like, eh, two labels on top, same label. <laughs> Nicholas had the yellow shirt with the plaid pants. It was kind of right. gorgeous, but right. it was gorgeous. How, we were texting about it yesterday. House was so alarmed by the lack of hats. True. <laughs> I don't think advisors. did three people have a hat on. It was like watching hockey with no helmets. Like people right. just plowing along as the sun's baking their faces with, uh, you know, no concerns. But yeah, that struck me. I agree with house. I kind of like the vintage mid eighties golf clothes. Yeah. Even they, the crowd, they, it, like you, they would show close-ups of the crowd and the crowd was wearing like fancy golf shoes to sit there at the masters. And they're like basically dressed Not Basically they were dress shoes. just had cleats on the bottom. Impressive right. showing from the 86 crowd. So Nicholas shoots a 30 in the back nine with the bogey, which is absurd. Unbelievable. But it really starts getting serious 13 and he starts stepping it up and then it all leads to like 16 when it starts to feel like, and you, yeah, I was caught up in the moment just watching it. Like, I know he's going to win. I'm still like really into it. And he's at the bar three <laughs> and he goes up there. The crowd's fucking going bonkers. I right. would you house. Would you compare 86 Jack versus 2019 tiger? I feel like 86 Jack has the slight advantage from just like how euphoric the crowd was. Yeah, you know, there was enough doubt about the leaderboard last year for Tiger as he made his his charge still had so many guys um, that could have tied him. 
And it so it wasn't Tiger coming from behind. It was folks falling back to Tiger. All of a sudden, Tiger was in the mix. Like, if you remember last year, he teed off on 10. He snapped the drive into the trees on the yeah. 10th hole down the right side. And it was like, come on, Tiger, get it together. I I, I was live betting. I wanted to live bet Tiger. And then he hit that, that drive. Like, come on. But everybody came back to him. And so the last final holes last, last year were kind of chaotic. Like, uh, Dustin Johnson left a putt short on 18 that would have tied him for the lead with Tiger. It wasn't, um, you know, this, this, uh, it didn't have the momentum of, of, of Jack and, you know, the, the building really the, the legend of the masters for our generation wasn't that 1986 event, the, where we, where people tell you about, you know, part of the, the experience at Augusta that's so profound is when you're hearing the cheers echoing from the bottom of the course up to the top, that really is most uh, uh, evident when in 1986. Yeah, Jack had, he was still kind of the living legend, but people thought his time had come and gone for actually winning another Masters. And when he started to come back, there was a lot of like, uh-oh, here comes the, here he comes. You know, he did have that Ali type of, and it's interesting because he wasn't on the same level. I don't think as Ali Jordan from a dominant standpoint, but there was a mystique about him that you could feel watching that telecast where it's like, oh shit, here he comes. That was very similar to Tiger last year. You know what else I noticed yesterday was the crowd. The crowd was a huge factor because when he, he put it within a couple feet on 16 and the roar was so loud. I think it was Tom Watson and Nakajima that were on the hole next to him, Tommy Nakajima. And they were yeah. like waiting to do anything until the roar subsided to see what was going to happen. And then I think Watson, who was semi in the mix, had an eagle putt and he missed it. And you could see he was really quick to hit it. And whoever the commentator was, it was like he rushed it because he was trying to get in between like the crowd started roaring again for Nicholas. So yeah. it was almost like the, like the roar like affected other guys that they, the way they would normally play. Not that yeah, Watson we, was probably going to come back, but that was like a factor. And he's like, I better hit this before that start cheering you again. Well, then, so he hit, he sticks that shot on 16 that he can't even see. And then he's walking from, from the tee to the, to the, the green. green. And the crowd's fucking reacting like the Rolling Stones <laughs> are coming on stage. Like <laughs> it's just three straight minutes of noise. Then it gets quiet again. Then he makes the putt. They go bonkers. And then... You know, I, I felt like Norman may never, it's a fork in the road moment for his career. Cause if he wins this, he might've won like 12. I know he got hurt later in, but he might've just ripped off majors. He was so talented, but I did feel like that crowd, the karma of the fans rooting against him. He makes, I totally forgot. He birdied 17. Yeah. And then, and then he hits his drive on 18 right down the middle. It's like perfect. And then that second shot, he's got everybody in the golf course just being like, fuck up, fuck up, fuck up, it, fuck up. Newton, Newton, Newton. And he just like completely shakes the second <laughs> shot. It's a lot of pressure. House, yeah. a lot of pressure. He should have been up to it, though. He had the talent to be up to it. He just he just didn't have the brain. I mean, you know, there's he he is possibly the most talented, most disappointing golfer in, in, in history. Like you, you just made the point. He could have easily had, you know, conservatively six to eight majors. 
he he never won a major in the in the United States. It's incredible. Handsome guy. That, that wasn't Greg even Norman. the most heartbreaking one for him either, really. No. Like, no. You know, like obviously no, the 95. one in 96 was horrible. Yeah. And right. uh, Larry Mize holding out. I mean, he had some awful heartbreakers. You're watching him and you're like, you want to scream at the TV. Stop playing this tournament. It's going to get worse. Throw your clothes in the woods. No. <laughs> uh, then Nicholas at 17 with the yes, sir. It, well, I've seen it a million times. And, and it's still great. I, it's amazing. But I actually I actually knew this because I watched a documentary about it a couple of years ago on the Golf Channel. But poor Ben Wright. He did the yes, sir, before Vern Lundquist did the yes, sir. He did it on 15. He I think it was either it was either 14 or 15 when Nicholas hits a shot, hits the hits a putt, and it goes in and, and Ben Wright goes, Yes, sir, the battle is joined. And he got robbed. He did the yes, sir, before Lundquist did the yes, sir. I don't think Lundquist ripped it off from him, but he, he did the yes, sir, before Lundquist did. And Thank I think God Ben Wright was bitter about it, that he didn't get more credit for the yes, sir. Thank God we didn't have Twitter back then. Ben Wright would have been going oh, yeah, after Lundquist. A little snippy about Lundquist. Like, oh, it was a good line, Vern. I said it first. Yeah, it was a good line when it came out of my mouth an hour ago. <laughs> And the battle is joined is underrated. Like that was that was good. Like the battle is joined. That's good with that British accent. Well, what was the Nance? Nance went full Nance on sixteen. Yeah, yeah. When he's like, he's like the bear is out of hibernation. <laughs> that was when that was when Jim Nance gushy golf course uh, announcer was born. He must have gotten good feedback for that. Great hibernation line, Jim. <laughs> Way to go. Right. You're so He's young. Like, he really was. Young Jim, Jim Nance. Nance. Exactly. It, the thing is, you're watching him during that tournament recalling stuff from the 70s, and you just feel like Jim Nance has been, it's almost like half a century of him somehow being involved, being involved. or being there or knowing something from every golf tournament. I also forgot 18, Jack comes pretty close to the one more birdie, which would have given him... Uh, eight birdies in the back nine. It would have been eight birdies in a bogey. And uh, in the crowd, that must have been one of the all-time. Oh, but it still seemed like we're headed to a playoff. And then Greg Norman, one of the all-time, this moment's too big for me, second shots. I also feel like Ken Venturi was kind of rooting against Nicholas. I don't know if there was bad blood there or what, but he he like almost, he declared it over for Seve a couple different times, it seemed to me. Like this one's in the bag for Seve. That's all she wrote. He's like Nicholas, not a great chipper. Like the guy's got five green jackets. He's like a legendary. You know, however many majors he had at that point, seventeen. But not a great chipper. Like Ventari was a little salty. It seemed to me. I don't know. Did if you pick bad up blood? Did you pick up some of the xenophobia with the foreigners in the front oh, God, line? Yeah. Yeah. It was overt. Absolutely. I, I don't even really understand what what the motivation of it was. It was almost like they were saying this would be terrible if one of these guys won. Or I, I, it was really weird. I know we're in the height of the Cold War, and I know Rocky Five had happened a few months earlier, but I don't, I don't know why we were taking out on Sevi Ballesteros. I know. Somebody was like, when Nicholas took the lead, he's like, and Jack says, not so fast to the foreign invasion or something. (laughs) He's like shutting down the borders, like take it easy, Ken, you know, whoever it was. I don't remember who it was, but somebody was like, not so fast to Europe. Easy. Just different America back then. A little different. Yeah. A little different. 
It's a friskier America. I uh, I feel like the Jack 86 Masters, which I remember when Connor and I were figuring out 30 for 30, it was always in one of the first five. It was like, this is, we have to do this. This will be one of the first ones. And it somehow never ended up happening. Um, it, the thing that strikes me watching him is he was 46 in the way like normal people are 46. There was no like Tiger's, however old he was last year at the Masters, he's got a personal trainer, he's got a chef, he's got all these different things. I know mm. he'd had some back shoulder stuff, but his body is like a, a race car. It's a machine. And even when you get a little older, there's all these things you can do to maximize whatever your body's potential is. Jack was just like this 46-year-old guy who was out of shape and couldn't see and had a pot belly. <laughs> like, right. It's absurd. It's absurd that he won the Masters. It would be like a 65-year-old winning the Masters now, right? right. Like him going head-to-head -head against a young Greg Norman, it's it's inconceivable. Right. It shouldn't happen. They're like, they're like, well, Jack's 46 now. He's on a health regimen. He cut down to three packs a day. <laughs> I don't think Jack was a smoker, but like your average golfer, like, well, right. he only has five scotch and sodas the night before. Round, you right. know? So he's got to tip his cap to age, slow down a little bit. Jack's on a health kick. He stopped eating potato chips. <laughs> and that, that's like, oh, it is. He's not drinking as much soda. Um, right. Unbelievable. You know, guys, the, the, um, the way technology is now, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a, an old player, somebody older, you know, somebody in their 50s that, that comes through and wins a, a major. Oh, yeah. And the, the Masters or the British Open are the two leading candidates for that, I think. Not unheard but, of, yeah. This you know, the, everything about um, that era of, of both America and golf, you know, Jack was the quintessential you know, Norman was really the first guy who introduced the idea of fitness in, into golf. And, and well, right. Gary Player, Gary Player really first, you know, a thousand push-ups a day. Um, but, you know, Norman. Him too, uh, huh? <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, House, what, uh, what, what were you nostalgic of that you wish they had in 2020 of the way they covered golf back then? Oh, wow. So the thing I like the most that I just think they should bring back and everybody's cool with it is the graphics. Those old school, kind of clunky, but there's a classiness to it. I just really, the graphics made me just kind of giddy. I don't know why. I just enjoyed them. What, what did you notice? Anything else? I mean, it's just a tour de force of, um, you know, the commentators. We, we didn't know at the time that it was going to be this legend and this legend, this legend, this legend, this legend. And, you know, having that uh, array of accomplished, you know, television commentary, it was so effing professional. You know what I mean? It was just really uh, so, so classy. I don't know. Yeah, it did I what agree. A lineup on that, what a lineup on that final day, too, of everybody that was in the hunt, like that they showed the final couple hours that I watched. You know, you have Nicholas Watson. You had like Nick, we had a rising Nick Price, who was great at that time period. Tom Kite, who has been around forever and a legend. You had Curtis Strange. You had Crenshaw. Tommy Nakajima was like, what am I doing here? But Sebi <laughs> Biasteros. But all these other guys, like everybody on there was like a legendary player. You know, there yeah, was Greg Norman, was too. Just like, and Greg Norman, right, the shark. There was nobody who was just like some rando who found his way like to a lucky Sunday, you know, which sometimes happens in these tournaments, less so in majors, but that happens too. Where it's 
some guy you barely ever heard of. So it was like, it was like a, you know, pantheon of phenomenal. You players. know, um, it was unbelievable. I think one of the reasons we probably watched all of this yesterday, other than that we're in a quarantine and there's not a lot to do and, and, uh, just desperate for any content. I it's master's weekend, right? This is our Sad. first, first weekend that I can remember since I've been alive where we're at this specific point in the calendar and we're not going to have the masters. And it really struck me yesterday. There's a, there's a timelessness to the masters and the way it resets everything. And it, I, I felt it a little bit with opening day, not having that, but they kind of fucked up opening day where opening day was taking place no, it's in March. It's in Japan. And then all of a sudden it's yeah. on a Saturday. It's like, I, I didn't even know when opening day was. And when we were growing up, it was always, you know, that first, Monday, right? Monday. Wasn't it a Monday? Yeah, or it was Monday. It was never on the weekend. And no. then it would just go, everybody played and baseball started. But uh but man, the combo of and like we, WrestleMania and the Masters always felt like spring. And when we were in college, it always seemed like you had the NCAA championship game and then the Masters, and it would be like the first warm day. Ironically in Worcester. So it was like we could be outside and then we would go inside and watch the Masters and, you know, watch the end of the NCAA tournament. It was always like the first sign of spring. And now, no, we don't even get that this year. None of that. Monday House, would have been the NCAA championship. House, have you come to grips with all of it yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I very early on, my, like in March, uh, started just, I just turned off my brain. I said, we're going to have to just turn everything off for a little bit. And it's basically, for me, uh, the the trick, the mind trick I've played is it's August. Nothing happens in August. I mean, I just, you know, we have vacation to look forward to. That's going to be whenever it's going to be. But it's it's quiet otherwise. There's some golf going on. I don't really care about it. I'm not going to watch it. Um, there's baseball. I don't care about baseball till September. There really isn't anything going on in a daily <laughs> way. So right now, I just feel like we're in suspended August. I was thinking that Golf was probably the one sport we still could have had, even uh, even during yeah, all. So. But then I was thinking how the social distancing on a golf course with the guys playing with each other would have led to so many like fun, like Brooks Kepka just plowing within. Everyone's supposed to stay within seven feet of each other. He's just br briskly walking by people to intimidate <laughs> them with social distancing. Or uh, who's the guy? Who's the slow player guy that we hate? House. Well, JB Holmes is one. Um, yeah, JB Holmes. I feel like social. He, he, he can't handle playing at a reasonable speed. I, I guarantee he can't handle social distancing. He would have <laughs> fucked it up somehow. Uh, but uh, there would have been so many variables to that. I don't think they could have done it even without fans. I think it would have been too weird. But and now it's going to be November, which a couple people have pointed out to me. It gets dark at like probably what five thirty. Yeah, good point. So when do they start? They'll, they'll start early. Maybe less people? Well, no, they have not. The field is 96 players, so it's kind of a normal size um, master's field, and they'll have the cut, and there'll be, you know, 60 guys. But last year, they um, put the, the uh, groups in, in, in three. They had three-man groupings, and they started at, at 9 in the morning because there was a hellacious weather coming. So Tiger won at like one thirty um, last year. Oh yeah, year. Now, right. I don't. So they they have the ability to to move things around. I haven't heard the plan yet for what time they start, but they'll just have to start early enough to get it in and have it wrapped up by like five o'clock, five thirty. 
See how this goes back to your thing of an old guy could win it because they're used to getting up early in the morning. That's like old guy time. <laughs> they're going to play early and like have dinner at four thirty and be in bed by eight. It's perfect for some old guy to win it. The young have guys are not on this schedule. Mm. What's uh, that's, your, that's your master's betting tip right there. Bet the old guys in November. The blue plate special guys. <laughs> old guy time. What's uh? What's audible to politics? Johnny, I know, uh, I know you've been a huge fan of everything Trump's been doing. Um, what, what have been your favorite moments? Well, <laughs> well, you know, my wife has been like, you know, what do you think is going to happen here? Like, what's what's going to, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's a tough, it's really tough because obviously we have this pandemic, and you don't want people to get sick, you don't want people to die, but you also don't want people, you don't want the country and the world to go into another great depression. So I said, you know, it's really tough to thread that needle. But luckily, we have the steady hand of Donald J. Trump at the tiller to guide us through these two, two risks, you know. So um, I, because I've been home and drinking early, I've been watching some of his press conferences. And he, it's just astounding to me where, you know, he, all he brings up is that he had this, you know, ban from travel from China. And he goes on this thing about, I, you know, I stopped it from China because it's like the only thing that he did. And it's literally like a guy that's like 40 years old that talks about like he won, he had the winning touchdown in high school. Like he just relives this moment. And that's the only thing that he brings up and goes on. And when he gets involved in these like petty feuds with idiot reporters that ask him like these gotcha questions at this time. And it's just like, it's breathtaking to me that this guy is our president at these times. And then he brings up the old hits about like the wall or building the wall. And this claim that like, you know, he came in and there was no ventilators, there was no masks just like the army had no ammunition. He just says these things, like he came into office and the army had no ammunition. He doesn't say like they needed more ammunition. He's like, they had no ammunition. People just accept that. They really, the army had no bullets. We had no bullets in the entire United States military. <laughs> really, really, that's what you're going to go with? And we just go with that. So it's just it's just astounding to me. And, you know, he's, he's he has been up to this point, like the luckiest guy in the world because he became president. The economy, economy was in good shape. You know, it got better. He, he left, you know, beat the Republican field. He got to run against Hillary Clinton. It seemed like he could, you know, everything he did came up roses, basically, like accidentally he sort of stumbled back asswards into things. But then he gets hit with this thing, and it's like suddenly we realize that we have like a reality TV host as our president, and we're de dealing with a pandemic and a possible depression, and, and it's not great times. Not great. Not great. Not good. <laughs> the, uh, it's funny that he's now pretending some of the stuff didn't happen. It'd be like if House and I did a podcast after a draft where we got, or before you're a draft, right. or after a draft, where every single analysis we had was completely wrong. But there were like two things in there that we got right. And then we just brought just up those two things all the time. It's like, well, right. I mean, we tried to tell you about Donovan Mitchell. Hey, House, you were on that first. And, but they, they, you know, we we're batting four percent. Right. They, the clips, you know, what I, I just wish this wasn't Democrats versus Republicans with some well, of this you stuff. Know, this I is, mean, you know, can this just be an American thing? Well, that's the thing. Like, it, it should be like a war, and like we're on a war footing where we're like, you know, everybody's got to hunker down. You have to make sacrifices. You know, doctors and nurses, obviously, people on the front lines are making more sacrifices than the rest of us. But we still have to sacrifice. You can't go out. You can't do things you normally do. It would be nice to be able to put politics aside, but in our day and age now in our country, you can never put politics aside and everybody's always going to like throw stones and, 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 and yeah, 
I don't know. Was there any president that could have dealt with this? Are there some presidents that could have dealt with this better than him? Certainly. There's no president that would have kept this like from our shores, presumably, and been like uber prepared and had everybody in masks and quarantined. I mean, you know, the, the mayor of New York was saying as late as like, you know, St. Patrick's Day, basically, keep going out. We're still going to have the St. Patrick's Day parade. They cancel at the last minute go to restaurants, it's not a big deal. You know, there was a lot of like media people and others saying this is not a big deal. So to some degree it caught everybody, you know, off guard. But I mean, you know, Trump just coming out and saying like USA strong and like really not having the, the ability to coordinate things and like be a leader and like inspire people, you know, I'm no fan of FDR being a conservative, but FDR fireside chats through the depression and World War II or Winston Churchill, you know, can you like rally people and show them like some empathy, and whatever? And Trump just comes out and does this like bluster and pounds his chest and talks about the, you know, I stopped airfare, air travel from China. And it's like, what are you doing now? Like the guy that's been a little bit better on this, and I'm not a huge fan of his either, is, is Pence. Because at least Pence, you know, was a governor and has some understanding of administration and like, of, like leadership to some degree of like, you know, being a leader politically and, you know, administratively and where things need to be and moving things around and what have you, Trump is completely out of his element in this, completely out of his element. And it's just like pounding your chest and, and threatening the virus as fake news. It's not really going to get us through this, you know? Or that the coverage is being used to discredit his presidency. Right. It's like, nobody cares. Can you just save some people? And, you know, his media minions sort of, you know, at first they were like, oh, this is just the flu. It's not a big deal. This is just to harm him. And then when the severity of it was really put to them and they were like, well, he's always been on top of it. He knew it before anybody. It, it's it's a joke. It's it's ridiculous. But and, and you would hope, like you say, we could put politics aside after we just spent 10 minutes bashing him. But uh, you would hope that you could put politics aside in this during this time of crisis. Everybody could come together, but unfortunately, like th those times are past, and we're just too polarized as a country. That we're probably never going to have anything. You know, the aliens could come. You know, after this, and, and we, we would hope we'd all be unified against the aliens or something. And th I don't think that's going to happen either. House, anything to add? The single thing that I care about that I'm focused on. I don't watch him. I can't watch any of those things. Um, they're useless. They're, they're not helpful information. The only thing that matters to me is the status of testing. We can't yeah. do anything until we have mass testing. We're That's not right. out of this until we have mass testing. And That's it has right. to be the 15 minute test. It has to be, you know, any person that wants a test can go get a test. And until we get to that point, we're, we we have to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to have to keep zooming like this. I'm not going to be able to come out to California uh, and and eat in Koreatown because we, we we have to stay behind closed closed doors. The uh, so every day I wake up to see if there's new news about the testing, and every day I'm disappointed so far. Now you know there are incremental positive signs around like Abbott Labs coming up with. Uh, the 15 minute test, but like the, the governor of Washington. So Washington is on the backside now of the curve and is wanting to protect itself from a resurgence from the resurgence that they know are, is, is coming. And they have a, a great number of tests. They've accumulated them. Now they, there's a supply chain problem. They don't have swabs. So like, and that, that's because of the, uh, 
awkwardness of the coordination at the federal level and the state level. But, you know, I think singularly, I would my my there are many, many things that need addressing the economy, ventilators, all of it. Uh, it poses, you know, enormous logistical challenges, but we can't take one half of a step until we have testing. And so that that's the thing that that's my interest and focus right now. I Joe agree with House. that. Unbelievable job by Joe. Joe House is like, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci at Holy Cross grad. <laughs> Joe House is right there as number two. Dr. Dr. Joseph House. Solving this pandemic. He's Fauci might be the most popular Holy Cross grad we've had since Bob Cousy. Oh, yeah. It's Cousy and him. There's no question. I People think love he's definitely him. ahead of Clarence Thomas. <laughs> and Chris Matthews. <laughs> definitely ahead of Chris Matthews. Well, I well, mean, that's. Think about that. All the all of the the casualties of the the last you know three two or three months all dwarfed. Like we don't even get to enjoy Chris Matthews abruptly quitting, screaming about this. Right, that's right. House is in the most danger of the three of us because he's the closest to Florida, and <laughs> all those dumbasses who were <laughs> apparently didn't have the news or anything and were just on beaches and spring break and just. Living their daily lives like no, nothing bad could happen, and God only knows where all of them have gone. But although I saw um, a thing the other day from like the farmers market out in L.A. and it was like packed, it was like from last weekend or the weekend before, and it's just like people really like what are we doing here? You know, I know it's a nice warm day, but you can't be like congregated in places. You just can't. Well, we've so there's I don't know how much power walking is in your neighborhoods, but there's. A lot. There's been a lot of LA power walking. LA is suddenly a city where when you're, you know, it's usually you're trapped in your cars and everybody's walking and there's, it's like a curb your enthusiasm season. Just the the walks, the, the rules that people are breaking, you're on a sidewalk walking fast. There's somebody just taking a slow stroll with their, on their phone. They don't hear anybody behind them because they got their fucking AirPods on and to walk around them, you've got to walk on the street as cars are coming and keep your six feet. They don't give a shit. Then there's the fucking joggers who they're just in their own zone. They have no problem, like, sweating as they walk by. Then you have the people that are dressed like they're they're un, they're unscrewing the Chernobyl reactor. <laughs> it's like, why, why even walk outside if you're wearing 27 pounds of clothes and you're you're entire everything is covered like maybe just maybe just walk in place around your room or something but the dynamics of it have been pretty pretty crazy i, I, I went to uh I, yeah we've walked our dog so many times he's like please if he sees the leash he like runs and hides now and he loves to go for walks because he's <laughs> like no more please i'm tired enough and i went to the package store the other day and they have a limit of like five people in the store I, so I waited until people came out and they gave me the signal to come in. I was the only guy in the place not wearing a face mask. <laughs> I oh, no. felt embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God. Like, uh, let me get out of here. Because uh, my mother-in-law made us all face masks. So I, I will wear that now in the future. But it's such, such a different world now. Like, we go out and everybody's, like, wearing surgical face masks or bandanas fashioned into face masks. It's crazy. It's it's just, it's crazy. It's nuts. How, uh... What's the average amount of seconds you guys are washing your hands now? Like, cause well, it, at the start of this, it was like solid 20 to 25. I'm down to like, probably like six. Well, my hands are so raw and so dry that like the skin, it burns now. <laughs> cause they're so like Purell and washed. So it's like, you know, 
and now I haven't left the house. So, you know, it's just me and the kids and the dog and my wife. So, uh, you know, I'm not as diligent as I probably should be. House, how has being at home all the time with your wife and kid affected um, all the different porn cams and different, all the Russian models you've been in contact with? Like, does that just slow down or does it stop completely? Not, not, not one thing that you just said has any resemblance to the truth. That was your Trump <laughs> moment right there. <laughs> you, we might as well feel like I'm at a Trump press press conference. Uh, and I will say um, my office downtown where I'm sitting right now, the uh, space that I'm in, there's, there's nobody else on my whole floor. And I drive into the garage and I'm in my office. I don't see anybody. So I've just been coming downtown, you know, for a few hours a day, mainly to to ensure that my wife and I don't kill each other. Yeah, I it's it's funny. Like, there's it's been a lot of family time. So the the Simmons family, we're looking at it like we're never going to spend this much time with my daughter ever again in my entire life. Like mm. she is now at the age where. They don't want to be with their parents. So it's like, well, now you're trapped. You have three other human beings you can interact with and that's it on the earth. So from that standpoint, it's, it's in a weird way from a fatherly way, you're like, man, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of enjoying this specific piece of it. Cause I know it's going to, the ship's going to sail. Jacko, you still, right. your older daughter's younger than mine. So you're, you're not at that <clears throat> age yet. Well, she's then, 14. So she's been practicing social distancing. Oh, for she's a while. 14. Oh, there you go. 14. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you get so it. She, she's up in her room a lot, you know, on her phone and doing whatever. But we've had moments of like, she's like, you want to go shoot some baskets in the driveway and stuff like that. And I'm like, even though I might not necessarily feel like it, I'm like, you know, this is I should. Because when are we going to get a chance to do this again? Like another six months, she's not going to want to know me, you know, and then she's going to go off to college eventually. And so I should I should embrace these moments while I can. So we've done a lot of that. We've watched movies, you know. We watched uh, we watched both Jumanjis in the past week or so, so. And The Rock is a national treasure. So yeah, we've had a lot of family bonding and hanging out, going on walks with the dog together. You and, and me that. are it's good, both it's good for things like that. Yeah, six to nine months from now, we're back to being chauffeurs for our daughters, and that's it. We're basically no Uber drivers that um, are unpaid. Absolutely. Just where are we going? Point A to point B. House, That's the one house thing is, I've, I've enjoyed not being having to drive, like get up early on Saturdays and drive to soccer games. I must admit, like I'm happy about that. The part of me is like, this is awful. It's terrible for the world and everything else. Granted, but I don't miss <laughs> driving the soccer games in like the 45 degree Connecticut weather. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm okay with that. House is in a different situation because his son right. is like my son, where they're just like, this is great. Get to be home all day with you guys. Right. You're gonna make yeah. me food, and I'll watch TV and play video games. How long can this last? Yeah, I'm a short order cook. I mean, he has, you know. Can I please have some more water? May I please have? May yes. I please have? Get up and go get it yourself. Right. I will say though, the opportunity uh, that you're describing of of some unexpected bonding. We did watch our first WrestleMania together all the way through. Oh. Uh, and th so that, that's a highlight. And, and we already have circled on the calendar LA next year, March the 28th. I think it is. We, we, I mean, we really love Tamina, the, the Tamina shockwave that the, there was a, a five way female wrestling, uh, you know, event that was part of it. And, uh, this, this, uh, 
good, good, healthy sized. I think she's Tongan. I don't know what her background is. Samoan. Uh, everybody ganged up on her and he couldn't believe it. And then she came out. She basically flung them all off of her. So the Tamina shockwave uh, is is getting a lot of play in our house right now. Yeah, we watched. See, I've never I've never been a wrestling guy, but you had me at five way female. So <laughs> <laughs> I watched all the WrestleMania with my son. I I just couldn't get past the no fans. I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. It you realize like how much of wrestling is geared toward just people emerging from the back with their music playing and the crowd going nuts or the crowd booing them. When you remove that, now it's just people kind of fake fighting naked each other. jumping around on each other. Yeah. And yeah, grunting. I really miss that. Uh, did we cover anything? Anything else? Oh, do you want to say goodbye to Bernie Sanders, Jacko? Well, you know, it's amazing. Like the last time we did a podcast, I think it was like middle February, you and I. And at that point, it looked, we were like, why is Joe Biden still in this race? It was before South yeah. Carolina. And we were like, why is Joe Biden still in this race? You know, Bernie basically won Iowa, which was a tie. He won New Hampshire. He killed in Nevada. So we're like, this thing's over. Chris Matthews got fired partly because he was like, it's like when the Germans invaded France. It was over in 1940. It was over. That's why they fired him. He was saying that about Bernie Sanders in Nevada. It looked like he was like a rock solid lock to be the nominee. And now here we are, like, in real time. I mean, it seems like it was 100 years ago, but in real time, it's only two months ago, less than two months ago. And and Bernie's gone, everybody's gone, and, and Biden's going to be the guy. And, and we did that, when we did that podcast, we were like, why is Biden still in this race? What's he doing? Because he got killed in New Hampshire. He got killed in Nevada and everywhere else. Like, what's he doing in this race? It's a joke. And now he's a nominee. So it's, it's, it's incredible, really, an incredible turnaround. And he seems senile. Yeah, he doesn't know what day of the week he, is. He could like barely speak in the in the debates. And it was like, this guy, what's he doing? It was like watching an old athlete. On on exactly that note, this could be setting up to be like the perfect dynamic for, for him, his best chance to win, because the opportunities for You're him right. to be face to face with other people and have to be articulate and speak in complete exactly. sentences. He can read from a teleprompter at the, you know, at the Zoom version of the Democratic National Convention. He That's can just right. read what, what's in front of him. He doesn't have to be up, uh, you know, doing the thing. So in, in that respect, it might be helpful to him. I actually I have I have a better idea than that. You know, how they have that deep fake technology for like the Irishman where they can make Pacino <laughs> younger, all that stuff. I just think they should have somebody else doing all the politics with, and just like put Joe CGI Joe's face on the person. But have somebody hire some actor or something. Just have Obama do the speeches, but just have it be like through. through <laughs> we might have to like, do that. Biden's like face on, on the screen. Biden's face, yeah. Obama's doing everything, and then it's just Biden, a deep <laughs> fake Biden. Uh, the problem I, for him is like in these in these Zoom things that I've seen like snippets of, and, and admittedly they're probably awkwardly edited or whatever. He's not been great, even like in the Zoom from his basement, like reading from the cue cards or whatever. He seems a little confused by things and the technology and what have you. So, it, it, you know, you have Trump on one side, but Biden does not really like inspire a lot of confidence, I don't think, in a lot of people, you know. But, you know, with the economy tanking and global pandemic and everything else, who, know, who fucking knows? Who fucking knows, really? I was watching the night when he won South Carolina. And he went on say, I was texting you guys and he gave that speech. It was a little like the 86 masters for Nicholas. Like he went back <laughs> into the back. way back machine. 
He was fucking awesome. You watch, if you yeah. just watched him that night, you'd be like, that guy, that guy's going to win the presidency. And then you watch him on Zoom now and it's like, oh, he's 78. So, right. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's quite a battle. All Who I know knows? is House and I missed an incredible gambling opportunity with Biden um, heading into South Carolina. Because if you actually Absolutely. looked at it, it was all lined up the next the next couple states for him, and Bernie couldn't win Florida anyway. And there there was real gambling upside, but Biden yeah. just seems so incompetent in those debates. It was tough to even think about it. Who's the vice president going to be, Johnny? It's going to be one of two people. It's either going to be Amy Klobuchar or Kamala Harris. I thought I was putting all my money on on Klobuchar. But then I saw this thing on Twitter yesterday where Kamala Harris did something where she like has a joint fundraising thing with the DNC and that's rarely done apparently. So I was like, I wonder if that's like an inside scoop. Kamala Harris might be too much of like a, you know, maybe a little risky for Joe, whereas Klobuchar is probably a safer pick, but um, it's going to be one of those two. You don't think the Michigan lady can do it? Nah, I don't think so. Because I think her thing with, like, she already came out of the gate a little shaky. I mean, I think, like, obviously he wants to have a female. Uh, I think it would help him to have, like, be, have a governor would be helpful. She's younger. She's in Michigan, which is in the Midwest, which is huge. But her thing was, like, where she had this thing where, like, Trump was, like, withholding stuff from her because she wasn't, like, congratulatory enough of Trump, which is, you could believe. But then, like, her story kind of fell apart, like, the next day. It turned out, like she was getting what she asked for and it was just some like government snafu or something that had nothing to do with Trump. So I'm not sure like her first foray onto the national stage went that great. I think like Klobuchar and Harris have been tested in debates and background checks and everything. I think that I think those would be better for him. Klobuchar, I think would be a good pick to get a Midwesterner. Um, and, and Harris would bring some things to him too, to be like young and dynamic African-American that would bring some of the party along that maybe he doesn't already have. Do we know who the female Mike Pence is? Maybe he should pick her. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, they could get rid of Pence and put Nikki Haley in there. She was, you know, the <laughs> governor of South Carolina. Right. Or maybe Pence is probably willing to put on a wig and claim his name is Michaela, actually. Point, so. <laughs> I was just trying to think of who could be the female Mike Pence just from a personality standpoint. You'd probably start with somebody who was heavily medicated. I'm trying to then, think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. really know uh, after that. Marianne Williamson? Yeah. <laughs> Is that her name? Yeah. I'll tell you this though. Uh Harris one on one against Pence in the VP debate would be pretty good. Absolutely. She would she yeah. would she would be feisty as all hell. You don't think there's any Elizabeth Warren chance, right? None. No, no way. No way. It would turn off more people than it would attract. And then what does Bernie do going forward? Well, that's interesting. Like if you're Bernie, well, you know, Bernie's like 80. So I don't think Bernie has a lot of future in, in politics. The interesting thing, if you're like a Bernie supporter, you're kind of rooting for Trump to win. Because if Trump wins, then four years from now, when the Democrats would be heavily favored to win the White House, it would probably be AOC's time. And, you know, for that wing of the party, it would either be Elizabeth Warren or AOC would take up the mantle and say, see, We've nominated an establishment person with Hillary and we lost. And we nominated an establishment person with Biden and we lost. Now it's our turn. This is where the party, you know, the ideas in the party are. This is our time to take charge. If Biden wins, 
you know, you're Bernie, you're not going to, Bernie's not going to run in, you know, 2024, presumably if it wasn't Biden, it would be his vice presidential candidate or his vice president. So it would either be Harris or it would be Klobuchar. So Bernie shut out then, or AOC is shut out. And then if like they got enough, you know, I'm assuming, let's say Biden doesn't run again in four years. Well, let's say he does actually, let's say it's 2028. Bernie Sanders is not going to run when he's 96, I hope, or whatever age, 86, whatever he would be. You know, AOC, you're not going to have, likely not to have a Democrat to follow a two-term Democrat. That's very rare. So really, if you're like a Bernie type or an AOC type, you're hoping Trump wins because then four years from now, you're going to take the mantle. No question. So you're saying if you were like the all-time Bernie Kool-Aid drinker deep down, it's actually better. Yeah. Better for uh, Trump to win. I and like from the my perspective, of- from my perspective, as a you know out in the wilderness conservative Republican who doesn't like Trump, it's better for me to for Biden to win and Biden to get in there and be incompetent for four years. And you hope four years from now, you know, Trump is out in the wilderness. You know, maybe there, maybe Donald Trump Jr. Like the interesting thing is, like, the, does Trumpism outlive Trump? Or is Trumpism now the Republican Party, right? Is it just a cult of personality around Donald Trump? Or once he's gone, does the party go back and say, okay, now we're going to nominate like Nikki Haley or somebody who's semi-sane and not a Trumpist to be our nominee? And we're going to go back to like the way we were. I'm or getting Chris. a lot of tweets. You were never saying you were always crazy. Save it. Save me the trouble. It's a quarantine. I don't need. I don't need to fucking hear that. But let's just assume, for argument's sake, like this order's. Or does the party say, well, now it's Donald Trump Jr.'s time or Ivanka's time? You know, who fucking knows? Kushner. If, if Trump was to lose, I mean. I like the idea of 86-year-old Bernie Sanders making another run. And he might. He might. Maybe he'll primary. In, in 2028. Maybe Biden gets elected and he primaries Biden in four years because he wasn't socialist enough. I don't know. I deserve a seat at the table right. with the other 85-year-olds. Right. Uh, I mean, the thought of Biden being the president for eight years when we're worried about him just getting through like this election cycle right now, this next four months is. I mean, there was some, there was, there was some speculation that he would say, well, I'm only going to run for one term and then I'm going to turn it over to my vice president, but you never want to go in as a president being a lame duck because Congress will roll you and say like, well, we're going to deal with him for four years and then he's fucking gone. So we don't care. So he wouldn't do that officially, but like it may be sort of like a wink and a nod, like whoever I pick is going to be the nominee in 2024. But you would figure like whoever his vice president is has a humongous leg up over, you know, Bernie, 86 year old Bernie or AOC or whoever like the, you know, de Blasio, whoever the socialist of the moment is. You know? Oh God, de Blasio. Um, House, which sports commissioner would you vote for over either of the candidates that we're going to have to choose from? <laughs> I, Adam Silver. Immediately, he Adam Silver singularly saved our country. He 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 shut down basketball, and real that really was the public moment when it occurred to everybody on a mass scale that we needed to yeah, do something. Huge. Rudy Gobert saved America. Rudy Gobert and Tom Hanks. It's true. Right. It's true. That was huge. We although, shut down. Adam Silver has been weak on China. He's been weak. He's been weak on China. China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that week that will be a documentary. That'll be somebody will do a documentary about those four days. That I went was like from, an eye opener for me, I'll tell you, because I was like, how big a deal is this coronavirus? It's like looking at Twitter, and then they're like, they're gonna shut down the NBA 
And then Tom Hanks had it. It was like all within like a matter of hours that happened. House is exactly right. Like that really was enormous. Like the notion of shutting down a sports league, like shit just got real, you know? Well, thank, thankfully for everybody out there, a Holy Cross grad was able to provide some sanity and some intelligence. And it wasn't any of the three of us. That's right. <laughs> hey, you know what else? You know what else I learned too? Cause it was tweeted at me numerous times in the Holy Cross alumni association. Apparently there was like a, a joint late night show with Stephen Colbert and Conan O'Brien last night. And I knew that Stephen Colbert's father was a Holy Cross graduate, but it turns out that Conan O'Brien's father also went to Holy Cross, like class of 48. So one of our kids is going to be a late night host, given the odds, basically. Wow. So, yeah, I think Amazing probably news. Ben, ben Simmons will someday be the king of late night. I think would be where I put <laughs> all my money. That's, that's possible. <laughs> Definitely more possible than president. Uh, James House has to stop pooping his pants and then he can do it. <laughs> we, we're trying to get Ben to wear pants every day. That would be a bigger uh, move for us. Um, House, I'm going to see you on the uh, 2002 redraftables tomorrow. Yeah. We're doing. We're taping for next week. Jacko, this worked out great. I just feel like we should do it's it good. again. I, I really Absolutely. enjoyed seeing both of you and spending some time. We didn't even talk baseball, but I guess we could save that well, for the next round. baseball to talk about. I yeah. mean, what we did have, there were two Corona silver linings for us from a baseball standpoint. One is the Mookie Betts trade is no longer the worst trade in Red Sox history because there's been no baseball yet. Right. And the other is you didn't have to Google alert Aaron Judge. He's He took a couple swings today. He's starting to feel you're, you're out right. of that whole vortex for three months because he was already That's hurt. Right. They hadn't That's even right. had spring training yet, and he was hurt. Right. So, I'm, and I'm actually, I, I'm waiting for Giancarlo Staten to be the first guy with COVID twenty. So uh, that's <laughs> where I am in terms of baseball, because <laughs> I'm sure the way Yankees injury has gone, there will be a Yankee that will be the first person to get COVID twenty. I've no invented it. That, so. invented but until COVID-20. then, keep hope alive. All right, Jacko House, great to see you guys. Thanks for doing Good this. Times. Take care, Good boys. Time. Love you. All right, thanks to World Central Kitchen. We have another podcast coming this weekend. Me and Rosillo, we have some fun stuff planned for that one. And a couple of rewatchables next week, a couple of book of basketball. Life, hopefully, I know it's not normal, but uh, we can at least pretend it's normal when we're doing podcasts. But stay safe out there. Listen to the doctors. Listen to the scientists. Don't trust anybody other than the smartest people. And, uh, and enjoy the weekend. Talk to you soon.